Hello, and welcome to All In. I'm Super EDF, Eric Defense Force. And I'm Seth Streamcourse. It's a beautiful day out here on the green today, folks. A great day for some golf. Indeed it is, Seth. All the pros are in attendance. Speaking of pros, Nintendo revealed its new console this week, and there's already questions about whether it's up to par. All that and more today in our pre-game news roundup. We did have an issue down on the course briefly with Razewing Ratha making some noise about yesterday's release of Monster Hunter Stories 2, but it promised to stop setting the holes on fire if we agreed to count down the top five mounts in Nintendo history this week. <laughs> what a scamp. Then, as part of our coverage of the front nine, we have Sidebar Games' arcade sports RPG Golf Story as our indie showcase. It's been outperforming expectations for a while now, and I sense another strong showing today. Well, it'll certainly have some very stiff competition today out there, because on the back nine, we'll be featuring our review of the big star out on the course today, Mario Golf Super Rush. Should be a fantastic tournament today, so let's send it down the tee. It's time! Hey, 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 hey. Keep, it, keep it down, Seth. You'll disrupt the play. Uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Sorry. It's time to go all in. That's right, folks. We are hitting the greens this week on All In and Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. We are thrilled to be here with you today. We are, you know, again, a lot of golf stuff to cover, a really fun top five, and certainly plenty to talk about in the news. I wonder what what may have happened this week that we could possibly be covering in the news this week. But uh, before we get into all of it, sir. What's been going on with you? Uh, nothing much. Just trying to figure out what my handicap is going to be out here on the <laughs> course. I think my handicap uh, should give me an extra 30, 40 strokes, maybe. I think okay. that's fair. That's pretty intense. But uh, <laughs> I honestly don't even know what I'm talking about. But it's been a another interesting week for me. Like I mentioned last week, I am still down here in Florida, as a matter of fact, with my parents trying to get a few things done. Maybe more to say on that next week. I'm not going to say mm -hmm. anything right now, but potentially some big changes occurring in my life. So I will let you guys know as soon as I have anything to report, really. But in terms of video games, I've been working quite a bit on those mysterious things. But in video games, I have been able to at least sit down and enjoy some nice relaxing pick cross oh yes oh yes lots of pick tui <laughs> yeah we mentioned it last week that a tui released their brand new pick tui 2d pick cross game and that we were probably both going to be spending quite a bit of time with it and indeed we have yeah. i have been uh, i've solved quite a few of the puzzles in the game maybe at a quicker pace than I really should be. There is a right. mode in the game that is uh, exceptionally addictive. 
but uh, I've certainly been enjoying my time with with Pick Tui quite a bit. I became a fan of Picross just this year, as a matter of fact, with the release of Super Mario Picross on the Super Nintendo NSO app. Right. Uh, that was honestly really my first foray into the entire Picross thing. But, you know, knowing that after speaking with Jules, watch him of Atui Games earlier on this year and you know, hearing about this game that was going to be coming later on and some of the things they were going to be doing with it, despite the fact that it's quote unquote, just a pick cross game. Seth, you and I were mm-hmm. really excited to get our hands on this. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pick cross game, but I still really, really, really enjoy it. Yeah, I do too. I, I love this game. This game, honestly, th- there are a few little things that I would like to see tweaked and yeah. improved. And it is worth noting that, um, Atui has already confirmed that they are hard at work on the first update to the game that assumedly will address some of these concerns. But overall, like the simple, I, I talked about it last week, kind of what the idea of Pictui is, but it really is just the simple marriage of Picross with like the daily brain training of something like Brain Age, complete with its own character, not unlike Dr. Kawashima of Brain Age, to kind of, you know, reward you with bits of trivia based on the solves for the nanograms that you're taking on. And, um, and you know, in the mode that you were speaking about the diorama mode, you're even completing dioramas based on other Atui games and learning facts about their development. And man, it's, it's a really simple idea, but it's just brilliantly executed. And to me, that really makes it stand apart from other 2d Picross games that I've played. Like I love 3d Picross, Picross 3d, um, on the DS and 3DS. But in terms of 2D Picross games, this is right up there with some of my favorites. And at least for me, the release of Pick 2 we wound up uh, being a little bit of providence because when I came down last week to see my parents, I wound up talking with my mother and my mother specifically told me that it was like, you know, I'm just, I'm looking for things, you know, looking for little brain teasery, you know, just yeah. things to get my mind going. And I said, oh, are you now? So <laughs> I actually played Pick Tui with my mother. I showed her she wasn't familiar with the she wasn't familiar with nanograms or Picross at all, similarly to me earlier on this year. But I showed her Pick Tui and I let her do some of the five by five Pick Tui puzzles. And you know, just after playing Pick Tui with me for about an hour, she wound up downloading a few apps on her phone and uh now you know, most of the time when I see her now, she's got like her iPad in front of her and I can hear the, <laughs> I can hear the telltale sounds of her, you know, blocking out squares in her right. own Picross nanogram game. So uh, Jules, if you're listening, you actually helped get at least one new person into Picross. So there you well go. done, sir. Well done. Uh, game's fantastic. I enjoy it quite a bit. I haven't really had too much time to do much else outside of that. I have spent quite a bit of time with Kazuya in Smash, I still am having quite a bit of fun with that. Any reason, basically, to jump back into Smash Brothers. It's one of the greatest games ever made, uh, objectively, at this point. And it just it continues to blow my mind, the amount of content that's in that one little title. Oh, yeah. And I just I continue to have a blast with it every time I turn it on. If they continue to just work on the netcode for that game and make it even smoother, I, I mean, honestly, you don't need to do anything with smash brothers ultimate for years yeah uh now something that i was looking forward to hopefully doing this week i mentioned a while back back when i did my review of r-type final two 
from uh, from Nippon Nichi Software America and Granzella, they had three level packs that were coming out that were effectively going to add a, no- a whole nother campaign. I was actually mistaken. I do have to fix a, a little mistake that I made. I mentioned that the three level packs were going to wind up adding six new stages. That was actually a mistake on my part. The three level packs are in fact adding seven stages. The first wow. two level packs added two a piece and the final level pack added is adding three stages. So in total seven stages in all, which has always kind of been a traditional shmup arcade mode is about seven stages anyway. So with the $20 level pack, you'll basically get an entire extra campaign. I kind of stopped myself a little bit when I said is releasing, has released, because it was supposed to, the final update was supposed to release June 30th. However, it did wind up getting pushed back a little bit, not too much, but the update did just release yesterday. So yesterday as of uh, this episode going live. So right. it did get pushed back ultimately a little bit more than a week. But uh, this weekend, I am very much looking forward to, like I said, a few episodes back, diving back into R-Type Final 2, unlocking even more of the ships and going through this entire extra campaign mode and just in continuing to enjoy the game even more. So very much looking forward to doing that this weekend. So... Between Picross, between Kazuya Mishima, between being really excited to play the DLC for my shmup, uh, that's honestly all I've really had time for outside of, again, mysterious other things that I'm working on right now and hope to be talking about soon. Yeah, I, uh, I very similar story with me. Pick 2 has been the big thing. I have somehow found 17 plus hours to put into <laughs> Pick 2 How? Yeah. Where? I... I really don't know. Like, I, I honestly have no idea. It's just been, it's just been so addicting for me. Like I, I've just been like kind of really enjoying sitting on my couch with my switch, playing pick watching SGDQ, which uh, started nice on the 4th of July, by the way, I hope everybody had a happy and safe fourth. Uh, if you're here in America and you celebrated, um, yeah, so SGDQ has been a thing that I've been enjoying. Um, if you don't know what that is, it is Summer Games Done Quick, which is a uh, usually biannual uh, speed running charity event. It is by far the most kind of prolific charity event related to video games that happens every year. They usually at the beginning of the year do AGDQ, Awesome Games Done Quick, and then in the summertime they will do Summer Games done quick and that's what's going on for it actually ends tomorrow i'm not gonna lie like i thought it was stupid games done quick for the longest time <laughs> i'm sorry they really do, did they they do have an awful game awful block. games done quick yeah that's kind of what i thought it was you know yeah. no yeah they and they've done some really impressive runs like um some of the highlights of the runs that i've seen they did this crazy uh technically a paper mario uh any percent run that involved playing like beginning the playthrough with the legend of Zelda Ocarina of time. And it involves some kind of crazy, like ROM manipulation and doing like stop and swap, swapping in 64 cartridges and just all this crazy stuff, this crazy tech that basically allowed you to warp to the end credit sequence of paper Mario on N64. It was nuts. How, how do you discover that? Like, honestly, that's the thing. 
Like yeah. who who says to themselves, you know what? I need to figure out how to beat Paper Mario even quicker. You know what I'm yeah. going to do? I'm going to start by playing Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. That's what I'm going to do. How do you discover things like this? That is insane to me. I would absolutely love to hear the story behind how that came about, how that was found out. Yeah, he. I mean, the the runner goes into it a little bit how the tech works, and I I, I don't fully understand it, so I'm not going to like butcher the description. But he did say that like there are a couple of games that utilize this kind of like storage writing technology, and Ocarina of Time is just the easiest one. Like they could have also done the same thing with like say Pokemon Stadium, but um, Ocarina of Time is kind of really well worn ground for speedrunners, so it's the fastest, most reliable way to basically get the game to do what they want it to do. And yeah, the end result is being able to see the Paper Mario credits in about 20 minutes. So yeah, that was nuts. That, that was a really bonkers uh, run. And that, I mean, that's honestly just one run. It, it is a week-long charity marathon event. So it's been, it's been kind of nice. Like whenever a GDQ event goes on, it's really cool to just kind of pop in, you know, watch whatever's being played. And, uh, you know, it's all for a good cause. Um, so yeah, big ups to, uh, to the games done quick crew, uh, always love what they do over there, benefiting doctors without borders, uh, MSF and, uh, raising a lot of money for charity. So that's been fun. And like I said, pick two gaming wise has been the big one. A lot of Mario golf, super rush still, of course, there will be a full review of that at the top of the show, but, um, yeah, that's, that's really the bulk of what's been going on for me this week. Um, I, I've been a little under the weather this week and uh, just trying to kind of recover with some of that. I've got my herbal tea here, but uh, very nice. <laughs> but, you know, you recorded a new uh, keep Nintendo weird, which you guys will hear next week on gotcha force with uh, my buddy, Dan, Dan Caparello from retro logic. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to you guys. Um, but yeah, that's, that's about it for me this week, man. There there's, you know, maybe a little teeny tiny news story, that, uh, that we should probably get into in, in our news roundup and plenty of other things. So what do you say? You think we should uh, start talking some news? Did, did something happen this week? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's I, I don't know, man. Is there an elephant in this room? I don't know. But I mean, if you say there's something to talk about, you know, I guess I'll believe you. So uh, sure, yeah, let's start this, this mystery news roundup. What could possibly have happened? Hey, listen! What do you mean the Switch Pro was revealed? How did I not hear about this? Uh, sh- Calm down. Calm. It's not even properly the Switch Pro. Calm down. It's still a big deal, but it's not technically the Switch Pro. All right. <sighs> okay. Let me let me look at it up. This this thing this thing. Oh well, let's go. Cool. Really? Okay, that's <laughs> weird. Okay. Okay, I'm ready to talk about it. All right. Yes. Nintendo decided. You know, it's been a couple weeks since E3. Why not just go ahead and drop the quote unquote fabled spoken of only in whispers Nintendo Switch Pro on us. That's been rumored for it feels almost as long as the Nintendo Switch itself has been out. But we finally got details on the next, I guess, actually improved model of the Nintendo Switch. I wouldn't really call the Nintendo Switch Lite an improved model. It's basically just a more compact version of the console Nintendo Switch. But yes, now we're getting a brand new, somewhat slightly upgraded model. And the fact that, you know, everybody kind of wondered where it was during E3 and why Nintendo hadn't announced it yet. 
And based on the specs and based on everything that we now know about the Switch OLED model, as it's called, uh, I, th- I think it's kind of apparent why they just decided to randomly drop this in the middle of the week with almost zero fanfare. Yeah. 8 a.m. on a Tuesday. Hey, why not? <laughs> let's let's announce the thing. Yeah. So essentially what this is, right? Let's let's lay the facts out of what this is first. Now, this is not a hardware power level upgrade like a lot of people were expecting yeah with uh the the switch pro or whatever you know would be announced it's also worth noting that nintendo never promised that there was going to be a switch pro and in fact vehemently denied the existence of one so what it is it's uh it is a hardware refresh with some improvements it's coming out october 8th right alongside metroid dread the price point is 349.99 And the main features uh, are as follows. It's got a 7-inch OLED screen, basically removing the bezel from the uh, standard Nintendo Switch. So this is 7 inches up from 6.2 inches. It has got a wider kickstand on the back for tabletop mode. It has got enhanced audio via new internal speakers, a new LAN port located in the new dock, um, it has got twice as much internal storage on board from uh, up from 32 gigs to 64 gigs. And it has got two color options at launch. One of them is a white dock with white Joy-Cons and one is a black dock with the standard neon red and blue Joy-Cons we're used to. So those are the facts. And I mean, it, it's I, I understand why a lot of people are disappointed. And yeah, just like you said, it, it's pretty obvious at this point why Nintendo didn't. Reveal this reveal this at E3 because yeah. of all the hype and the rumors going into it. It's like, yeah, this would have let a lot of people down. Yeah, because a lot of people were expecting a huge spec upgrade for the next Nintendo Switch model. And this frankly isn't it. Now it's nothing against Nintendo. Nintendo wasn't generating any hype at all. As a matter of fact, they were trying no. to dissuade hype. But all of the leaks and all the rumors and all the little whispers here about the next Nintendo Switch model, everybody just kind of made these grand sweeping assumptions about things that had to be in it. As a matter of fact, to be completely honest, we weren't immune from that. We even did a top five uh, features about things that they had to include in the Nintendo Switch Pro, about things that we would have loved to have seen in the Nintendo Switch Pro. But ultimately, this is not like a great step forward. Don't get me wrong. There's still some very noticeable upgrades with the Switch OLED model, but this is not the, you know, PlayStation 4 Pro upgrade. This is not the Xbox One uh, S or One X upgrade that a lot of people were really hoping for from Nintendo's hybrid console. So, you know, when when all the hype and the, this tornado of misinformation was swirling around E3. I'm sure Nintendo said, guys, if we, you know, we're proud of this, but there's so many expectations out there at this point about what this is going to be that we're inevitably going to let those expectations down. So let's just skip E3. Let's show off all these amazing games like Breath of the Wild 2, like Metroid Dread, like, you know, uh, like uh, Mario Party Superstars and, you know, all these other really great games that made Nintendo's presentation at E3 a real standout. But yes, it was a very conspicuous absence with no new hardware because 
of all the reasons we just listed. So Nintendo said, you know what, instead, we're just going to drop it here a couple Tuesdays later afterwards and, you know, just kind of let people sink it all in. If people want to be excited, they can be excited. But yeah, since it's not everything that the internet has already hyped it up to be, let's just go ahead and put it out and just move forward. Yeah, I think that this whole Nintendo Switch Pro narrative really, I think, has shown a lot of people the stock that should be taken in rumors and leaks, which is to say very little. Um, And reporting on rumors and stuff, it's always fun and whatever. It's fun to speculate. It's fun to get hyped. But we try to, especially when we talk about this stuff, we do try to, you know, quell that as much as we can by saying, hey, this is a rumor. Take it with a grain of salt. We're going to talk about more rumors here in the news roundup. So, I mean, like rumors are one thing. That's all fine. Uh, But, I mean, when you have these big reputable sources and big publications, people like Bloomberg, Eurogamer, that are saying, hey, this thing's coming. It's going to be like DLSS. It's going to be. It has 4K. 4K. Yeah, exactly. And then like they reveal this, which is, you know, internally at least very much just the switch you already have with some minor improvements. I mean, this is very much the, you know, the DS lights, the 3DS XL kind of style. It's a hardware refresh. And for people like you and I, especially who are still on launch day switches, it actually is kind of a nice upgrade. And and personally, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting one. Me too. But but you know, like th- this is not what a lot of people were looking for, and I can I can very much understand the sort of disinterest or the 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 especially if I had a V two switch, I don't think I would be as interested in picking one up personally. And there's another um, aspect of this: people who mainly play the Nintendo Switch on their TV, which I have to right. imagine is a lot of people like me. I'm one of those people. Ninety. 8% of my game time throughout the time that I've owned my Nintendo Switch since day one has been on the television. So, I, you know, I'm happy to have an OLED screen. I'm happy that it's slightly bigger, but I'm not really going to get much out of those upgrades. Happy for the extra onboard memory, happy for a few of the little tweaks, but uh, I think the majority of people who play the Nintendo Switch primarily on their TVs might not notice that much of a difference, which I do think is also a big part of where a lot of the disappointment comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for, for me, like I, I would say that I'm probably like 60, 40, like 60 on the TV, 40 in handheld. I, I get a pretty good amount of use out of my switch in handheld mode. So I, you know, for me, the upgrade makes a lot more sense. And, And I think that's really what, what it boils down to, right? Like you don't have to buy every single solitary piece of Nintendo hardware that comes out, you can choose not to buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's actually going to be okay. If you don't upgrade, it's going to be fine. Um, now, w- one of the things that I think is interesting here is to consider the why, right? Why not? Why wasn't this a actual hardware upgrade in, in line with like the new 3ds XL or something like that. And, we, d- we don't know, obviously, any hard facts, but we can sort of speculate that perhaps this was uh, due to the now infamous chip and GPU shortages that have plagued like Sony and Microsoft and the PC market, especially with mm-hmm. graphics cards yeah. not being available due to the pandemic. I-, I think that probably played a big role in it. Um, but I yeah, it is kind of curious to see how Nintendo has taken this tact with the Switch OLED model 
and slotted it into the Nintendo Switch family of systems as if it were like a Switch Pro, because now you've got the standard Switch, the Switch Lite, and you've got this thing here in the middle, but it's like, it's not quite that, you know, it's in a strange place on the marketplace, I feel like. And none of us really know what the initial plans for the Switch OLED model were. It very well could have been a a plan to be much more of what we really think of as a Switch Pro. But it's still kind of weird that I see outlets still calling it a Nintendo Switch Pro because it's not. But obviously, because of when it has come out, a ton of the development time on this model of the Nintendo Switch has happened during a global pandemic. And... Again, we don't know what the initial plan was. It could have initially been planned to be a much more impressive upgrade than it was. But, you know, like we may or may not say with a few things in this episode, it's very possible that some big plans had to be laid to rest because Mm -hmm. of circumstances that nobody on the planet could have predicted. Now, regardless, we have what we have. And we have to judge that based on what it is, not what it could have been. Right. And I still love the Nintendo Switch. I do. Obviously, we're, you know, huge fans of it, clearly. But yes, admittedly, especially after setting these expectations for ourselves, it would have been nice. And I do feel ultimately a little let down by, you know, what's going on. You know, it wouldn't have made me go up buy a a 4k tv it wouldn't have made me you know do a bunch of things but there's a couple games that i really would have liked to have seen played on a switch pro if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. oh sure yeah totally and i think too i think setting the expectations for yourself um is is an important thing to note there I, i think that a lot of the disappointment is as a result of rumors and hype and buildup and hearsay and stuff like that. I mean, as we've already said, Nintendo never said any of this themselves. As a matter of fact, they, like you said, try to dissuade a lot of it. So it, it's kind of our own fault. And it's also kind of the fault of the journalists who have put a lot of like stake in it and have really stoked these flames. But, um, you know, based on what it is, it's actually not that surprising to see Nintendo take a tact like this because I saw a meme going around that kind of summed it up perfectly. This is very much what Nintendo did with the 3DS. And they even released like a piece of marketing promo that looks almost identical to what they did with this. And it basically was, you know, we've got the standard 3DS, we've got the 3DS XL, and we've got the 2DS. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. We've got the standard Switch, we've got the Switch OLED, and we've got the, you know, Switch Lite. Uh, and I'm almost wondering if the tactic is not going to eventually become once we start to get this thing out into the marketplace, if we don't eventually just kind of like we saw with the 3DS phase out that original switch model and then the OLED becomes the quote unquote standard switch. And then in a year or two years, they release the proper switch pro and then it becomes the switch family is switch OLED switch pro and switch Lite kind of in that, you know, for the casual gamer, for the kind of like more mid-tier gamer, and then for, you know, the the quote-unquote pro-level gamer. I could totally see them doing that. I'm not trying to purport any of that, but it would track with Nintendo's strategy. All of this all of this tracks with what Nintendo has done in the past, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so. it's, it is just interesting that they are releasing something like 
this because the entire point of the Switch OLED model is to advertise and to really take advantage of the Switch's handheld capabilities. This is definitely a model that Nintendo wants you to play in handheld and tabletop mode. Right but they've already released a model of the Nintendo Switch specifically with that in mind. So I don't know. It just feels a little weird. Obviously, the Switch OLED model has a much bigger, sexier screen, and you can remove the Joy-Cons just like a normal Switch, and it does have much more pleasing handheld and tabletop capabilities than the Nintendo Switch Lite. I just find it weird that after Nintendo has already released a mode of the Nintendo Switch that focuses primarily on the handheld aspect that they would essentially just release another version doing the exact same thing. Now, ultimately, I do think Nintendo is trying to do something slightly different with this because given the slightly bigger screen and the way they're marketing the OLED model specifically, this is something that you and I immediately recognized. Nintendo was marketing this and even packaging it almost as if it was any other smart device tablet, almost as if it was an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy tablet. They're almost treating it as if they're they're, they're appealing directly to that audience of people's like, hey, check out our, uh, check out our console. If you like iPads, you like Samsung Galaxy Pads, maybe check out this cool little box that we're uh, that we're releasing here in a couple months. Yeah, I, I found that really weird too. And and if you look at the uh, the spreadsheet they've got on their website, it looks very Apple like, like very you know, comparing the three different models of Switch that are now out there, it, it reminds me a lot of when you're upgrading an, an iPhone. Um, so I don't know. There, there, there's plenty to read into here. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely interesting to uh, to look at Nintendo's strategy with this. But, you know, I, I think it is worth noting too, um, with people like you and I who have launch day Switches, this is not just as straightforward as, you know, stuff like a screen upgrade or whatever. Um, This will also give you, if you do have a launch day switch, you will not have the upgraded battery that is in V2 switches. So that's, that's kind of another nice little bonus. If you are like, like somebody like you or I, who's upgrading from a launch day switch, you're also going to be getting some increased battery life, which I think is nice. So I I think that's worth noting. Um, I, I think the price point is also really fair. 349, I think is the perfect price for it. That's only $50 up from a standard switch. Um, so I, 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 I'm going to be really curious to see how this thing performs this holiday. And I, I'm going to be really curious to see how the market takes to it. I think the name is terrible. I think that it is appropriately named, but I don't think it has a lot of marketplace recognition. Like, you know, a grandma is not going to walk into GameStop and say, can I get the switch OLED model? You know, it's just not going to happen. Like this is honestly like Wii U levels of like, I I feel like this is not going to mean a lot to the casual gamer, you know? Now, but I do think the numbers of the Switch OLED, the sales numbers are going to be indicative of a few things. Very famously right now, the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 are famously difficult to find. So if Nintendo is able to produce a lot of these in October and release a lot of these then I would almost guarantee you that that's indicative of previously much more grand plans. Like if they produce a ton of Switch OLED models, I would say it would be because 
that they have basically just decided to circumvent the chip shortage and circumvent a lot of the materials and parts shortage and say, you know what, we're just going to release it with a prettier screen. We're not going to worry about more CPU strength. We're not going to worry about higher specs. We're just going to make as many of these as we can with the improvements that we can. But uh, if they only release a few, I don't know. But if they wind up releasing a ton of these out into the wild and the Switch OLED model winds up outselling the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, uh, I think we may have to look back on this and say, you know what? Fair enough. Smart move, Nintendo. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because that's another thing that comes with the nature of the beast when it comes to not increasing or not improving the internals of it, not putting a new chipset, not putting a new GPU in there. You circumvent the need to deal with all of these supply chain shortages, and as a result, you can make more supply, but... On the flip side of that coin, because you don't have that, you have also stunted a little bit of your demand. So it's going to be really interesting to see where this falls. And I mean, obviously, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it. And uh, we will certainly be keeping a close eye on the sales of the Switch OLED when it does hit on October 8th. I think it's really smart to launch it alongside Metroid Dread. Yeah. And I, I think it's also really kind of cool to see Nintendo betting on the horse that is Metroid Dread, like to have that trailer open and for the first thing you see to be a Metroid game, I think bodes well for Nintendo's viewpoint of Metroid as a series. And that, that did make me happy. Absolutely. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing how well Metroid performs alongside this brand new Switch model. I There's not a doubt in my mind we will see a bundle pack featuring the OLED model and Metroid Dread uh, leading up to October 8th. There's not a doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. So we shall see. But as we figured and as we have said, if Nintendo did finally ever decide to drop news on the new version of the Nintendo Switch, it was very clearly going to be the biggest news story of the week. And mm -hmm. indeed it was, although I think not quite so much in the way that most people were expecting. However, there's still a ton left to see about the new Switch OLED model. And we... Uh, and we will be waiting with bated breath, let's just say, to uh, to see what comes of the Nintendo Switch's new bigger brother or new bigger sister. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, look, N Nintendo is is really trying to bankrupt me this year, <laughs> and uh, they're going to be doing that as soon as next week with the release of Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD segue. Segway. <laughs> Did you because wind up picking up Monster Hunter Stories too? No, I didn't. Um, I, I really do want to play it. Um, I, I just, you know, when you stare down the barrel of like multiple 100 hour RPGs, yeah. you got to make a choice, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, but we will, we'll definitely be talking about that a little bit more when it comes to our top five later on in the show. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're also look, I mean, we've got Zelda coming out just in like a few days at this point. And um, since we last talked to you guys, we did report on uh, Nintendo revealing that there would be quality of life improvements. But now Nintendo has officially lifted the curtain on what those quality of life improvements are. And they are including things like making the guidance of the character of Fi like an optional thing, which is a huge complaint being addressed from the original release. Um, the ability to speed through text, which is a nice improvement. This one's huge. Removing repeating item descriptions, which was way annoying in the first one, like really annoying in the original Skyward Sword and adding an auto save feature, which I think is going to be a godsend for a lot of the dungeons in that game. So 
yeah, I mean, it's it's really nice to see that Skyward Sword HD is not just a straight HD up-res. It has got some really notable features that are being, you know, quality of life improvements made to the game. And to be honest, it really feels like Nintendo just went down with a checklist and said, okay, what are some mechanical things that people found annoying about this game? Let's fix that. Let's fix that. And, and I really feel like this version of Skyward Sword is going to take off for a lot of people. I think so too. I think it's going to make a lot of people retroactively look back on the game and say, actually, you know what? Minus those couple things, this was a really solid title. And of course, yep. being kind of toward the later end of the Nintendo Wii back when the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 were essentially, you know, trading off, you know, who was sitting on the throne of the world at that point, because, you know, when Skyward Sword came out, that was while Nintendo was going into, let's just say, a dark time with their mm-hmm. hardware. I don't think Skyward Sword ever really got its fair shake, uh, pun intended. <laughs> and despite the fact that Nintendo doesn't have a huge plan for Zelda's 35th anniversary, unfortunately, I am still happy to see that they are doing things like this. We don't have a huge merchandise release we don't have a bunch of new nso games coming to us like uh, majora's mask or ocarina of time uh, but we do have skyward sword hd we've got breath of the wild 2 coming next year we've got the age of calamity season pass so you know it, it it is still whetting my appetite it is still making me excited for the legend of zelda's 35th anniversary and that is translating into me being very excited to play this game can't wait. I can't wait to replay the game. I, I love Skyward Sword and you know, it's, it's probably my least favorite 3d Zelda game, but th- I mean, that's to say that it's like, you know, like, like an eight and a nine, as opposed to a 10, <laughs> you know, it's still a very good game and I'm really excited for people to play this version. And I do recommend again, I know that they have controller support, button control support in this version of the game. Guys, at least try, at least try the motion controls because they really are special in this game. So that's what I'll say about that. I'm looking forward to it. And in addition to that, Sonic Colors Ultimate similarly got a quality of life improvements trailer and extra features trailer Mm -hmm. release this past week. Again, with the Sonic Symphony still very fresh in our minds, it's gotten me very, very excited to jump back into the world of Chili Dogs and Gotta Go Fast. And uh, honestly, there's a couple extra things in Sonic Colors Ultimate that I wasn't really even expecting. Yes, they're doubling the frame rate, which is fantastic. And they're even doing some really interesting things like having some unlockable effects for Sonic. Now you can get uh, tokens and unlock weird, interesting speed effects like sparkles and rainbows and fun little uh, party effects for for Sonic, which I think is, is really cool. But they're even adding in a couple new modes, including something they're calling Rival Rush, where you wind up racing Metal Sonic throughout a course. I don't know how that's going to work necessarily, but it is going to be essentially a brand new game mode that they're adding into an already solid experience. And they did, of course, mention the fact that they were tweaking the controls to make them even more responsive, with Sonic Colors being uh, among the most responsive already of Sonic's 3D outings. So I really hope that if they're able to make those even better, that Sonic Team is now taking that engine and applying that to this brand new Sonic game, because that has always really been the, the big Achilles heel of most of the 3D Sonic games is it's been really hard for Sonic Team to nail the controls. Sonic Colors, I feel, maybe more so than any Sonic game since Sonic Adventure 
I feel has nailed the controls. They're not perfect. At least they weren't back on the Nintendo Wii. But if they were able to enhance the controls on the Nintendo Wii, that could very well be a good foundation, a good starting point for the new Sonic game. So with the enhanced controls, with the extra game mode, the tokens, and even some of the stuff that's kind of come with the physical editions, I'm not really going to talk too much about the weird creepy keychain. (laughs) Right. But with everything that they are doing with Sonic Colors Ultimate and really Sonic's 30th anniversary celebration in general, uh, you know, I'm excited to play Skyward Sword HD and I'm very excited to play Sonic Colors Ultimate. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, yeah, that was a good game. Like it was it was a good game. Like that's I, I feel like Sonic Colors is is one of the better modern Sonic games. So I'm definitely looking forward to re-experiencing that on Switch with all the improvements. And, and that's going to be a good time uh, when that comes out in September. Uh, we do have a couple of little headlines here to just kind of briefly touch on. Um, so th- this was interesting because, and, and honestly, it just makes too much sense because Hasbro has announced an Animal Crossing edition of Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know One of the most legendary tabletop board games of all time. Um, honestly, the, the set itself, if you look at it, I feel like is a little on the weak side. Like the fact that they don't have any actual like villagers as tokens is crazy to me. Um, but it is noteworthy because it does kind of solidify animal crossing alongside franchises like super Mario, of course, Mario Kart and Zelda that have their own mon- uh, monopoly sets. So that releases in August, uh, retailing for twenty four ninety nine. So if you want to get your Monopoly on with a little Animal Crossing flavor, you can do that very soon. Well, if Tom Nook isn't the canonical banker of the Animal yeah. Crossing Monopoly, then that is a massive missed opportunity. Yeah, I just thought it was so weird because the uh, the actual pieces, the the tokens for the players are like player character villagers, which I, I guess makes sense. But I'm just like, it's Animal Crossing. Like, you've got all these great characters. You know, how is there no Isabel Tom Nook token? You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a bit of a missed opportunity. I'm absolutely going to make a custom pewter Isabel figure. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and, and I mean, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not a huge Monopoly guy anyway, but I, I can definitely see for people who are into Monopoly, this this might be an interesting take. And honestly, it just makes too much sense. It does. I mean, when it comes to physical Nintendo toys, I know we also got a new Lego trailer for uh, Mario's next Lego sets. And I know you're mm-hmm. excited about that. I am. He's going to own all of them, folks. I'm not going to own all of them. I'm going to, I'm going to restrict. I've been good, but yes, I will absolutely be buying that Lego Luigi. He's going to own all of them folks. (laughs) Uh, So speaking of owning all of them, uh, it is kind of a, kind of a uh, nice little news story here that Danganronpa Decadence has finally got a release date. It of course was revealed during Nintendo's E3 direct, but did not have a release date. It was just kind of a later this year. Well, we know now that later this year is December 3rd. Um, Danganronpa Decadence includes four games. It includes the first three games in the core series, as well as a new title called Danganronpa S Ultimate Summer Camp. And uh, if you purchase the game physically, it includes all four of those. Digitally, you can buy them as that bundle, or you can purchase them individually. So these are really cool kind of visual novel games. If you like World's End Club, I would definitely recommend giving Danganronpa a look when it finally makes its way, when a body has finally been discovered (laughs) on Switch. December 3rd. 
I mean, if you're fans of that, this should be a day one purchase. Obviously, Danganronpa isn't a huge, massive, mass appeal type of IP or franchise, but obviously video gamers and Japanese culture, there's a huge cross section there. And if you like visual novel style games, I think you'll be into it. So if you've never heard about it, honestly, playing the demo of World's End Club is what made me even interested in looking into Danganronpa. So Sure. You know, yeah. if you're interested in those style of games, it is very much a different style of anime type of experience on the Nintendo Switch. But, you know, maybe check it out. You know, try new things. That's the entire point of life. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. You should always try new things. Totally. Absolutely. And we do have, as I said earlier, a couple of rumors to talk about. Some really, a couple of interesting rumors, rather. And again, as we've already said, take these with a massive grain of salt. We're not going to like sit here and, and talk about them for forever or whatever, but these are interesting rumors that could potentially mean big things for the world of Nintendo. And the first one appeals basically directly to my interest. I feel like this personally is attacking me um, <laughs> <laughs> because this has been kind of making the rounds on the internet this past week, this supposed leak of artwork for an upcoming Super Monkey Ball II Amiibo to coincide with the release of Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania in October, a game that obviously you and I both are extremely excited about. Yes. Um, and I mean, all I got to say is, I don't know about the credibility of this leak, whatever. All I know is, if that is not real, it absolutely should be, and I'll take 10. Yeah, they should. I mean, I don't know how many they would sell, but I would absolutely buy an entire series of Super Monkey oh, Ball. Yeah. I would buy II. I would buy Gonga. I would buy every single one of them. Of course, I think II would be, if they were going to make one, II being the main character would be, would make right. the most sense. But it does, it does to me look like it's probably fake. But just like I you, get that sense too. but just like you, I really want it to be real. But especially after all the Nintendo Switch rumors and the Nintendo Switch hype, uh, me, just like most people, yeah, I always took, I always took leaks with a grain of salt anyway. But I am much more inclined to take less grains of salt with mm -hmm. my leaks these days. So it it does kind of look like a fake to me. But maybe guys, if we all gather all of our energy into a big Dragon Ball Z style spirit bomb, maybe we can make this <laughs> a reality. Maybe if enough word gets back to Nintendo, and that's one of the things that I always think immediately when I see stuff like this is. Maybe it is somehow, maybe this is just my conspiracy theorist brain, my Charlie Day up against a whiteboard kind of thing, but maybe this is just some way for companies to, you know, gauge interest in something like that. Totally. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. I would certainly like for it to be real, but we shall see. I don't, I don't, by the way, I don't think you're off base about that at all. I think companies absolutely do that. Um, there was a rumor that was happening, I think even before we started this show, uh, about like a Star Fox Grand Prix mm -hmm. that was like, by all accounts, Nintendo put that leak out there. It was a totally fake game that was never being worked on. But Nintendo purportedly threw that out there essentially to find who was leaking things. So I think companies are totally aware of the leak culture, especially in the Nintendo world. Like a company will totally throw that out there to gauge interest. And maybe that's exactly what this is. I hope so. Because like I said, I'll be there day one with bells on. I, I would be all over this. And speaking of uh, monkey related leaks, 
this is one to uh, to quickly touch on because a fairly prolific uh, leaker named Zippo, who folks who are kind of familiar with this stuff may may recognize that name. Um, fairly reliable, kind of a hit or miss track record. But Zippo claims that Nintendo, uh, they said that they were surprised that Nintendo did not announce a new Donkey Kong game at E3. They've been aware of its development, blah, blah, blah. And they're claiming that not only is a new Donkey Kong game in the works after all, but they are, Nintendo is ramping up the Donkey Kong franchise for a huge resurgence to include not only this new video game, but also that theme park expansion that we basically know is happening and a new animation project as well. This was really interesting to me. And again, I'm not trying to purport leaks or give any credibility to this guy or or whatever. You just really want it to be true because it's Donkey Kong's 40th anniversary. I, I do really want it to be true, but I also think that all of these things make a lot of sense. And I've mentioned this on se- all of these things I've mentioned on several different occasions. We know that theme park expansion is for sure coming. Um, we know like, like that is actually a thing. We, there is like data, there are stickers on the super Nintendo world app. They have that like door that is leading to that expansion. That's a thing that's happening. And I've speculated on this show that Nintendo needs to, if they're going to make that a big deal at their theme park, they're putting a lot of money behind Donkey Kong. So a movie makes sense. I talked about that when we talked about video game movies. When we talked about the Super Mario Brothers movie, I was like, yeah, I think Donkey Kong's the perfect candidate for an animated film too. And now we got this leaker saying the same thing. And then like the Donkey Kong game, I think makes a lot of sense. This, All of these moons seem to be aligning. And while I don't want to purport that leak, I just want to say that it is a leak that at least makes sense. It, it, it at least the writing is at least somewhat on the wall. So again, as always take it with a huge grain of salt, but this is stuff that I've been kind of speculating on personally for quite some time. All right. Calm down, Seth, calm down. You're going to disrupt the play again. <laughs> so that, that's what I got to say about that. I, I think big things are coming for donkey Kong, but we will certainly see. But in stuff that we know is real, just a quick little PSA, even though we've already mentioned it, and the fact that we're going to be talking about it. In fact, it is the catalyst for our top five this week. But yes, in mm-hmm. fact, after hearing about it constantly, constantly yeah. for months and months and months, Monster Hunter Stories 2 did in fact release on the Nintendo Switch just yesterday as of this episode going live the demo came out a week ago a couple weeks ago and we checked it out we've i mean we're really interested in this game we were huge fans of monster hunter rise definitely go back and check out our review of that and we are interested in checking out this much more turn-based take on the monster hunter formula a sequel to the 3ds game but just be aware if somehow you hadn't seen monster hunter stories 2 is indeed available now on the nintendo switch Yep, and you you also, if you have saved data from the full version of the game, you do get that uh, Smash Ultimate spirit. So that's worth noting. <laughs> yeah, if not, you're just going to have to wait around for another five months like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, like the like the losers we are, right? <laughs> yeah, stupid <laughs> Sophia, Persona 5 strikers. But, uh, but obviously, the Switch OLED model coming out was a massive story, just like we always knew it would be when Nintendo finally decided to drop details on that so but what are your thoughts on the new model of the nintendo switch are you really excited about it was it super disappointing let us know 
Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at All In Podcast and talk to us. And speaking of talking, go ahead and join the conversation with us over at the All In Discord. Links in the description. And after you're done with that, give a like, a follow, and a subscribe to All In over on our YouTube channel. And do make sure to give a like, a follow, and a subscribe to our wonderful little podcast wherever you get your podcast from, be it Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And even hop on over to our YouTube page and check that out as well. Check out Keep Nintendo Weird, check out Gamer Glossary, and check out all the other content that we already have available for you guys. I want to thank you all so much for hanging out with us each and every week and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. Yes, absolutely. It's obviously been a crazy news week, but man, I think it is time that we talk golf. Obviously, uh, I'm going to be hitting the greens at the top of the show with our Mario Golf Super Rush review. But man, before we get to it, you've got a bit of a golf story to tell us as well. Is that right? Oh, oh, well done, sir. (laughs) I thought you might like that. But hearing about Mario Golf Super Rush and getting excited for that is actually what made me finally pull the trigger on playing through golf story i'd heard a lot about it and in fact sports story the sequel to golf story had already been announced but if you've never heard about golf story it is a wonderful little single player rpg style arcade golf game from sidebar games and it is our indie showcase this week So yes, while I spent all of my time out on the greens of Mario Golf, which we will certainly uh, speak much more about at the top of the show, uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing about Golf Story, a game that I actually own and have not played yet. I have not pulled the trigger and finally booted up Golf Story. I desperately, desperately want to because I've heard so many great things. It obviously has become kind of an indie darling. And um, yeah, I'm really kind of looking forward to hearing about it. Yeah, like I said, it's basically a golf RPG, and it was certainly good enough to warrant a sequel, especially after playing through Golf Story. I am very excited to be playing through the sequel Sports Story. It looks like it's going to expand on Golf Story in a myriad of different ways, but we're not here to talk about that game. We're here to talk about Golf Story. And for those wondering what exactly a golf RPG would even play like, I mean, what do you do in an RPG? You go through towns, you talk to NPCs, you accept quests, you get experience, you level up, you get new equipment and items, and you progress throughout the game. And that's exactly what you do in Golf Story. Whereas most arcade sports titles are multiplayer focused games, Golf Story is a much more single player focused adventure mode. Don't get me wrong, there are multiplayer modes in the game, which I'll get to toward the end. But the bulk of the experience of Golf Story is very single player centric. But instead of fighting off goblins and there being magic and combat, instead the encounters that you'll have in the game are decided through playing golf. So it's, it's, I mean, that's basically the game. You play through an RPG, but instead of combat, there's golf. Yeah, and I mean, based on what I'm seeing here, what like kind of what I know about the game, it, it definitely has that kind of like, you know, top-down kind of pixely aesthetic. I mean, it looks like a lot of indie games now, but it definitely has its own personality. And I mean, yeah, it, it seems like un, unlike some of these other kind of sports games, this has a like honest-to-goodness story to tell, right? Yeah, the narrative is is very tongue-in-cheek. It is a very comedic 
story. I don't think you mm. ever, I don't think the main player ever actually gets named, but you start okay. off the game playing golf with your father. And that leads into the beginning of the game proper, where we find out that you are essentially a failed pro who is attempting, you know, one last time to try to make it, uh, try to make a living in the world of golf. And one of the running jokes throughout the game is the fact that you're terrible, supposedly. <laughs> Everybody in the game keeps reminding you that you're terrible. Your ex keeps showing up at random parts in the game to remind you of how terrible you are. No matter how well you do throughout the course of the game, every character, all the NPCs are like, you could shoot 17 under par on a 10 hole course. And they would still seem like, you know what? I guess you'll be good enough to go pro <laughs> one of these days, you know? It's this hilarious running gag throughout the entire thing. The narrative itself is very tongue-in-cheek, but the narrative is basically just centered around the player character attempting to become a pro. And you start off in the well-worn Groves golf course, attempting to find a coach for yourself who can, go figure, coach you into how to play golf. And this begins kind of the gameplay loop where coach decides that he doesn't want to work for free and says, if you want a golf lesson, you have to bring him some money. And whenever you do any type of challenge or any type of quest or any type of anything in the game, you do actually wind up getting money for it. You wind up getting money and experience. So it's not like, you know, you're, you're not going to get, uh, you know, 10 billion zinni or coins or whatever, you'll wind up getting like $12 and some change. You'll wind up getting like 25 cents at the beginning of the game, but you'll eventually get up to the point where you're making like, you know, 13, $14 challenge. But yeah, everybody, like all the NPCs around Will Warren Groves have their own little golf challenges. Of course, the very first map of the game is basically just there to teach you about all the mechanics of golf story. And if you've ever played an arcade golf title, you'll probably be instantly familiar with the meter that you're going to see at the bottom of the screen. Now, there are a couple indicators on the bottom of the screen that are going to help you considerably in how to choose your shot. But ultimately, it's still a press the button to start the meter, press a button at the height of the meter to get your power and then press the button one last time when you get back to the origin of the meter to get your accuracy. And you can choose where on the ball to hit it to give it different types of spin. And there aren't necessarily any like super shots in the game, but there are a couple special shots that you can use that consume what effectively amounts to the game's MP. You can do a special shot that is more accurate. You can do a special shot if you need to get just a few more yards to pass over some trees and get onto the green. There is a power shot that you wind up unlocking. So in case you need a little extra oomph in any regard, there's probably a special shot that will help you out. Like if you're trying to get to a very specific point on the course, the special accuracy shot will probably help you out quite a bit. So you've got your standard golf meter with your power and your accuracy, you've got a couple special shots. And then, of course, like any good RPG, you do have different equipment that you can unlock and use throughout the course of the game. There are several different sets of golf clubs that you can get throughout the course of the game, and you can equip the ones that you have. You can actually mix and match the different clubs, and I'm sure they, you know, I'm sure exactly what you think they would do is what they do. 
You know, you have clubs that increase your power. You have a putter that increases your accuracy. But there are a couple things that are very unique about some of the golf clubs that you can get because there's a lot of unique stuff going on in Golf Story. In addition to just being very tongue-in-cheek with the narrative, you couldn't just have a a 15-hour RPG-style experience where all you're doing is basic golf mechanics because that would grow old very, very quickly. So they do add a few things in there to get some variety out of the gameplay, and they are very, very welcome additions to the game. One of the things that you'll wind up doing is you'll actually wind up digging up certain items, and you'll actually need a digging wedge in order to do this. So... You know, it was like smacking the ground. Basically, yeah, you're literally digging <laughs> by smacking the ground with the digging wedge. And it's, I love it's, it. it's hilarious. And it's basically just a meter that keeps going back and forth. And you just got to keep hitting it as it hits the center to continually dig up things. And you'll do that a couple times throughout the course of the game. There's even a static wedge that you can use to keep whacking something to build up an electrical charge in it. It's uh, it's so funny, but it's so cool. I love how I I love how playfully unique the game is because you know this is not super serious golf. This is you know you're you're having fun. That's what the right. game is about. You're just out there having fun, uh, and even during the more intense moments of the game, during the more nail biting moments of the game, I just couldn't help myself but from smiling and from not taking it quite too seriously there are certainly going to be a few points in the game that test your skills but ultimately this is not going to be a very difficult experience i think for most people the game has a very good difficulty curve and it almost feels like it might even rubber band a little bit but uh, I, i feel like the difficulty curve of the game was very appropriate for the progression throughout the course of the game. I never felt like I was just kind of thrown into the deep end. There were a couple spots where I was stumped in terms of what to do next or how to do something specifically. But when it came to the mechanics and progressing through a challenge, there were a couple of things that I did have to retry. There were a couple small individual challenges that wound up frustrating me a little bit. But ultimately, when it came to the big matches and a lot of the big event-style progression quests... Uh, it was it was pretty good. There wasn't there wasn't uh, too much frustration involved with that. Thankfully, that's good. I mean, especially when it comes to like to RPGs and side missions and stuff like that, it could be very easy for things to you know start to feel like a slog. You know, very very quickly. So it's nice that there's a good bit of variety there. It's nice that things are never like overly challenging. Um, I I was wondering too, like because it is kind of like an open world RPG, Mm -hmm. is it the kind of thing where just anywhere, anytime you can just set down a golf ball and start golfing or they're just golf balls like teed up for you in the world? Yes. Mostly to the first one. There is actually a button to drop a golf ball. There's a ton of exploration in golf story. There's eight main courses, eight main hub areas in the game. And there's a lot of exploration involved with you know, most of these courses, obviously each course has its own main hole set up, but there are a lot of extra little things that you can do. There are secret holes that you can find in the main hub worlds. And even in nice. those main hub worlds, there are a lot of the time, like smaller, more compact courses that you can play through. 
which have their own oftentimes side quests uh, and even story quests sometimes involved with playing those smaller courses before you tackle the bigger ones. So there's there's a ton of golf to be played in this game on most of the main courses. Ton of holes to shoot your balls in. And I really like the the variety of the different courses. You go immediately from something like a more traditional greens style setup to a like desert fossil graveyard is the second main world that you wind up unlocking. There's a haunted uh, golf course area. There is a uh, frozen area. There is the beach area. It's almost as if this was developed by Nintendo on the down low. That's cool. I, I mean, you know, this is something that I'll talk about a little bit later, of course, but it is nice when a golf game has variety, as it turns out, in its courses. <laughs> yeah. And each course does, of course, bring with it its own challenges. You know, when you're talking about the uh, the course that's out on the beach, obviously you're going to have to deal with quite a bit more sand traps out there. And because right. there's a lot of islands out there, you're not talking about these long stretches of green. There's a lot of islands, so you're going to have to be a lot more accurate with some of your shots when it comes to the the haunted area there are a lot of obstacles and gates and pumpkins and crows and everything out there there are a ton of arcade style obstacles in this game that you have to contend with there's a mountain area i think it's called breezy peak where <laughs> where you have crows and condors that can actually come down on the course to pick your ball up um and there's a swamp area where you can actually hit your ball off of turtles' backs to make it go that much further. There's a ton of little interesting game mechanics that a lot of the individual courses, a lot of the individual environments bring into the fold. I was really impressed. You know, this is something I've already said, but I was really impressed with the amount of variety and the amount of flair uh, given to each of the different courses. It's not just different backgrounds. There are actually different things to consider uh, on each of the courses, which was, you know, just helps with the variety. It helps to keep things fresh when you're playing 15 hours of golf. Yeah. I mean, that that's a good runtime too. 15 hours. I mean, it sounds like it's a full adventure. It is. You'll wind up getting a lot done in those 15 hours, even just with golf mechanics. Most of the time there is some puzzle solving. There's actually, I won't spoil too much, but there's a whole like whodunit quest oh. that you've got to do. And it's, it's just a ton of fun. The writing in the game is pretty decent. I do think that the playfully funny tongue-in-cheek personality is a little bit overdone in indie games. It feels like it's just something that's really easy to fall back on. Maybe because the writing for something like that just comes off as really natural for a lot of independent developers. But it is still implemented pretty effectively here in Golf Story. There's a lot of characters that wind up being very memorable. Mostly uh, one of your rivals, your main rival uh, throughout the course of the game, who you wind up getting. Yeah, I won't spoil too much about how much your relationship evolves with this character. But it, it is nice and organic and still somehow tongue-in-cheek and stupidly funny at the same time throughout the course of the game. Coach, who you wind up meeting toward the beginning, is of course a major character throughout the course of the game itself. And you do actually wind up running into quite a few NPCs. You do make quite a few enemies on your quest to become a pro, including like a super diva pro golfer who's also 
uh, massive social media influencer. You've actually <laughs> got a couple of characters who are literally trying to take over the world with a skeleton army. So you run the gamut of characters in Golf Story. You could be, uh, you could be dealing with a completely grounded, down to earth, weird NPC one second, or in on the next second, you could be dealing with weird frisbee golf hooligans who think they own the world. The next second, it's it's just it's really bizarre in many places, but effectively endearing. Let me ask you this because this is something that you know I'm really passionate about, and when it comes to RPGs, obviously the soundtrack is a major component when you're talking about something you're going to be playing for 15 hours. How, how is the score? How is the music? I thought the soundtrack was was effective. I don't know if there was any real standout tracks but for the pixel art aesthetic that it was going for and for you know the 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 personality that it was going for it's not a game that claims to really have any stakes so given that it's also a golf game and i don't really know how how in your face you want a, a soundtrack to be for a game like that but i thought that overall the soundtrack did its job in an effective manner i wouldn't say that it blew me away but again, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's a conversation to have about whether or not you even want a golf soundtrack to blow you away. But maybe it is. Maybe it is. Who knows? But I thought that the soundtrack was good. So <laughs> there you go. That's my incredibly informed expert opinion <laughs> on the soundtrack for Sidebar's Golf Story is good. Uh, but ultimately, even if you take a soundtrack that's not trying to be in your face, even if you don't take that into account. There's a ton to love in this game. There's a few things about the game because of its pixel art 2D aesthetic. There's some 3D elements of taking a golf shot that do wind up rearing their ugly head occasionally. And, mm. you know, I did have a couple occasional hiccups here and there. I actually did have the game crash on me. Uh, that's something oh. that I typically don't have to worry about with my Switch. But That's this, unfortunate. Yeah. But, that, but that one did crash on me once. I figured I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up. But ultimately, for an arcade sports game that does focus on single player, it's single player adventure mode, I was really, really impressed with it overall. It's, it's definitely one that I think that arcade sports fans should look into. And honestly, even RPG fans, if you're looking for a different type of RPG experience, if you've played way too many fantasy RPGs with swords and sorceries and goblins and dragons, maybe give Golf Story a look-see. Because in addition to all the golf mechanics, they do include, outside of just digging stuff up with your wedge or trying to include an electrical current with an electric wedge, there's actually more than just golf in this game oh uh, i did briefly mention disc golf a little while ago and there's actually quite a bit of disc golf that you play in this game as well the mechanics do take a little getting used to but it's just another little piece of variety that they added into golf story there's even you know a weird kind of drone thing going on with some of the golf so but i'll let you find that out for yourself uh, but honestly, I, I did learn quite a bit about golf. There's a lot of actual good golf information here in this game. And I did feel like I learned quite a bit. Apparently, I wasn't really aware of this, but everybody's familiar with the stroke play of basically just playing through however many holes and seeing how many cumulative strokes that it takes you. 
there's another type of match that you'll see quite often in golf story where it's just whoever takes less strokes to finish that particular hole wins that hole and whoever wins the most holes wins the match. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's a really unique uh, match type. And it's also really nice because if you do find yourself just really good, then you can finish the match within five holes out of nine. So you can just say, it's like, yeah, I won the first five. You can't possibly come back. I win rah, rah, rah. And there was much rejoicing, but uh, I, (laughs) I did personally really enjoy the fact that there wasn't just stroke play. The fact that there was, you know, an entirely different match type in the game that you could get into. So that was cool. Uh, there are a couple times where they force partners on you, and you know what? I uh, the, I think that I think that was annoying as the game intended it to be, because ah. yeah, th- there will be some times where the game intentionally throws some some kind of fist shakingly handicaps <laughs> in front of you. You'll get uh, there was this one mo uh, there was this one match where I got paired up with this old geezer and he's like oh, I'll take the first shot on each hole and then you can take it from there and he would just slice it like three yards and I'm like oh that uh, was like that's a great first stroke well but you like you said that that was definitely they they did that just to mess with you <laughs> yeah and the last thing I'll really say about the gameplay is the the gameplay itself is as deep as it needs to be again if you played an arcade golf game you'll probably understand most of what you're getting into fairly quickly, but there are a couple little bells and whistles, a couple indicators that are very much going to help you in your quest to become the best there ever was to golf. But I was ultimately really impressed with how the gameplay was implemented in this game. Not saying that it was perfect, but especially for a 2D top-down arcade golf style game, I do think it was implemented very well. There's a ton of variety in Golf Story and just the golf itself, but even outside of that, a ton of different quests and things that you can do even outside of just playing golf. There are some fetch quests involved, but there are certainly enough quests to keep you busy for quite some time. A ton of different items to collect and equip and use. And I do think that a lot of the different skills are also very well implemented you are going to use a lot of the different skills in the game quite a bit throughout the course of the different challenges that you'll be given through the npc so i don't think any one skill or any one ability is i don't think any one skill or ability feels like it's ever been neglected too much you do the game does go out of its way to make use of all of the skills and abilities that you get pretty often but yeah I mean, that's that's Golf Story. If you've ever looked up Golf Story, you've probably seen a lot of very glowing reviews about it. And I I agree with most of them. Again, it's a single player style golf experience. However, there is indeed multiplayer in the game. You can play through any one of the eight main courses that you've unlocked. You can play through those multiplayer in uh, match play and I believe stroke play. Oh, okay. However... The game, because it's an indie game, does not have online capabilities. And that is the biggest knock that I can say against it because the game does have multiplayer. Like I said, you can play any of the courses that you've unlocked, but you can't play them with friends outside your house. And in 2021, the game was released a couple of years ago, but in in this console generation having multiplayer but not especially multiplayer like this because the switch needs more arcade sports titles that's something that we've said a few times here on the show 
it would have been so nice. I understand why. I just can't help but feel it just would have been so nice to have online play as part of Golf Stories package. Oh, maybe maybe Sports Story will have a online multiplayer. I don't know. That would be fantastic. It's it's because of the lack of online that I didn't really spend any time on the multiplayer because by the time I was finished with the single player of the game, I'd already spent quite a bit of time on these eight courses, as you can imagine. Uh, so I didn't really have anybody to make the game interesting by playing through those courses in multiplayer with. However, right. if they had uh, online capabilities, I probably could have gotten an extra 15, 20 hours of enjoyment out of this game easy. I probably could have easily doubled my playtime with Golf Story. I'd like for a reason to go back to play it and maybe, you know, and I might go back to play it uh, a little bit to gear up for sports story when it finally releases. But uh, mostly I'm just recommending the game on the strength of its single player campaign. Well, I mean, look, if the single player campaign is strong enough to, to hold up a recommendation on its own, I think that's definitely noteworthy, but even more added value if you do have somebody to play some local golf story multiplayer with. So it sounds like it's a bit of a win-win. It's unfortunate there's no online multiplayer, but we'll see what happens with Sports Story. It's definitely, uh, Sports Story is certainly the very ambitious sequel coming hopefully this year. Uh, we don't have a firm date on that yet, but we're definitely going to keep our eyes out for it. And uh, yeah, I think I'm, I, I just, I got to play Golf Story. I, I do. really need to make the time to play it. Yeah, I've been telling you to play it ever since I beat it. And trust I me, know. I know that you and I have been so, so busy with a ton of different things, but yeah, I really think you'll like it. I know you, like me, is a. Uh, I know you're a huge fan of RPGs, and you and I both are very big fans of unique gameplay experiences. And I think marrying up arcade sports gameplay with more traditional RPG tropes like leveling up and, you know, I haven't even really talked about the level up system. It's actually very similar to Mario Golf's level up system, which we'll talk about, well, you'll talk about later on, but... You know, if you like RPGs, you like arcade sports titles, you want to see those two get uh, wedded in holy matrimony, check the game out. And if you do, reach out to us and let us know what you thought. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know if you plan on playing Golf Story or if you did what you thought of Golf Story and if you're excited for the upcoming sequel. Absolutely do. And I mean, in the meantime, you know, we did get, as we've already touched on, we did get the release yesterday of Monster Hunter Stories 2 after hearing about it, seeing a million trailers about it. It's finally out there. And while it's not a game that we're covering with like a full review right here, right now on the show, we're already reviewing Mario golf later on. We did still feel like we had to pay tribute to monster hunter stories too. And we, it got us thinking, we were like, how, how do we approach this? Right? What, what is the major thing that separates monster hunter stories two from the core monster hunter series? And it occurred to us that it is, the fact that the character and, and really all of the characters in monster hunter stories are monster writers rather mm -hmm. than monster hunters. And just kind of piggybacking off of that idea, it really got us thinking about the nature of writable characters of mounts in Nintendo games. And we honestly thought it would make a perfect candidate for this week's top five. Yes. With the release of monster hunter stories two coming out just Yesterday, the release of the second game in the Monster Hunter IP to release this 
year and a big new direction for Monster Hunter with the Nintendo Switch, especially in 2021, has been the whole idea of writing. We got Wyvern writing in Monster Hunter Rise, and it is a hype new mechanic. And of course, Monster Hunter Stories 2 is all about this connection between these writers and their monsties as the game calls it. But this entire idea of riding these monsters and mounts in general did get us thinking, who are the greatest mounts in the history of the big N? And this is ironically enough, not really too hard of a top five to put together so much so that we kind of had to make this a shared top five because admittedly the top five mounts in Nintendo history we're kind of objectively right in front of our faces. So we're not going to spend too much time dilly-dallying. Our number five in the top five greatest mounts in Nintendo history is the trio of an owl, a fish, and a, a gerbil guinea pig, I guess. Rick, Kine, and Koo from the Kirby franchise. Yeah, I mean, the animal buddies have been a thing with Kirby basically since Kirby's Dream Land 2, leading all the way up to Kirby's Star Allies, the latest game in the series. Yeah, they were added as Dream Allies, playable characters that were added with free DLC. But one of the things that puts them in top five territory is the fact that Kirby's entire gimmick, his entire shtick, is the fact that he takes his powers from the enemies in the environment. If he swallows a fire enemy, he gets fire powers. If he swallows a sword wielder, he becomes a Kirbified version of Link. And in addition to just simply riding Rick, Kine, and Koo, they wind up getting upgraded versions of whatever power Kirby has equipped. And a lot of the times, these are adorably OP. Oh, yeah. Like when, when you've got the cutter ability, like Koo shoots out the razor sharp feathers. Yep. Yeah, they're awesome. And then when you've got the electric power and you're swimming with Kine and like he spits out this light bulb and it immediately electrifies yeah. the surrounding area. If you've ever played Kirby 64, one of the big cool draws with Kirby 64 is this idea of combining powers. And that's almost mm -hmm. what it feels like with Rick, Kine, and Koo. You wonder what this mixture of the animal buddy with the mount and this extra fire power or this extra sword power or cutter power or whatever, you wonder what that's going to look like. And it became it becomes this thing where you wind up wanting to try out all the different animal buddies, all the different mounts, just to see how their version of each power is implemented. And they're always presented as a trio. No one really sticks out any more than the other. They work in tandem. Rick, the hamster gerbil, is obviously the best one to go with if you're traversing over land. Koo, the owl, is obviously the best one to choose if you're going through a an air-based or a flying-based stage. And of course, if you're in a water-based stage, the fish. I mean, clearly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they all help Kirby quite a bit throughout the course of their adventure. And again, just they complement Kirby so well. Even when you don't have any extra powers, when Kirby is riding, he doesn't even ride on top of Kine like he does with Koo or Rick. You can actually see Kirby sticking out of Kine's mouth. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's just a great compliment, right? Like the, the concept of the animal buddies, I think, just gels perfectly well with Kirby's entire deal. And it's almost a little disappointing that they haven't shown up in more games. Obviously, as True. Kirby has gotten more and more dozens of abilities trying to implement those 
with multiple different characters would probably be a tall order for most modern Kirby games, and especially each Kirby game since Nightmare in Dreamland has had to focus on its own particular gimmick, whether it be robot mechs or having four players on screen at once or a hypernova sucking ability like in Triple Deluxe. But I would still very much like to see a more traditional implementation of Rick Kynan Koo in an upcoming Kirby game. I'd like to see all the different Kirby abilities and to see how Rick Kynan Koo could implement them. They had their own move set in Kirby Star Allies, and it was really cool being able to play as all of them at once, depending on what you were doing. So I, I love them. They're fantastic. They're their own character now in Star Allies, but far and away, they are most famous and most notable as Kirby's loyal mounts. And honestly, just how adorable is that? Just think about that for a second. Like, he doesn't have a horse. He doesn't even have something, you know, weird like a rhinoceros. He rides a gerbil. Yeah. That's a mount for Kirby is a gerbil. Just imagine the size you have to be. Just imagine, like, a gerbil running across your floor. Now just imagine Kirby, like, playfully grabbing onto its fur, riding it like a mount across your floor. Just try not to go into a cuteness overload coma thinking about that. <laughs> and when it comes to mounts, we started with a trio of characters, but there's a franchise out there with so many different characters that could theoretically be used as mounts. When we started talking about the greatest mounts in Nintendo history, I specifically had to ask Seth, like, what do you want to do about Pokemon? Because yeah. when it comes to the Pokemon franchise, I mean, ever since generation one, with Fly and Surf, how many different Pokemon could you teach those HMs to? How many different Pokemon could become mounts, either over land or, you know, flying across the map with them or surfing across the water with them? So many dozens of different Pokemon monsters, even from the first generation, were capable of being mounted. And there are some very famously mountable Pokemon. I think Rapidash really sticks out in the, uh, a lot of people's minds. And there's a ton yeah. of Pokemon that we could really have put here at number four as our Pokemon representative. However, we decided to go with the ride Pokemon from Pokemon Generation 7, Sun and Moon. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because when you look at the the sort of like concept of Pokemon in general, um, Pokemon are obviously largely used in the kind of like standard Pokemon battle context, but we have seen throughout the course of the 25-year history of the franchise several examples of Pokemon being used as mounts. And I, I think that Sun and Moon is probably the most prolific uh, case usage of this with the concept of ride Pokemon. Um, Pokemon riding is a custom that is practiced in the Alola region. And yeah, it, it actually kind of became a major gameplay Im implementation in Sun and Moon because it effectively removed the tried and true like HM usage of Pokemon past. And you got this as a result of like, you know, years of fan outcry of like, we're sick of having a ditto in our party to cut yeah. down trees or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So now that we're in Alola in Pokemon sun and moon, all of a sudden, rather than needing something to smash boulders, you've got your Taurus that you can ride on the back of, or you can hop on the back of a Stoutland to find hidden items or, you know, hop on a Charizard and fly or ride a Mudsdale to get across rocky terrain. And there's all kinds of use cases for, 
ride Pokemon in the Alola region. And it seems like that's probably the, the best uh, example of that. It is worth noting that in the Let's Go series, there are also Pokemon when you have them out um, kind of alongside you as buddies, you will also find your character hopping on their backs. Like you can hop on the shoulder of a Kangaskhan or hop on the back of an Onyx. So yeah, I mean, Pokemon mounts actually have quite a bit of precedent in this very, you know, traditionally bicycle heavy series. <laughs> oh yeah. And there's even a Pokemon who mounts another Pokemon in Pokemon Sword and Shield. So I mean, they're taking they're, they're going like Mount Mountception at that point. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. I mean, like we all know. I mean, Lapras is basically if you imagine yeah. Lapras, you you almost imagine a Pokemon trainer riding on the back. I mean, we've all surfed on the back of Lapras, you know. So yeah. it was kind of a natural evolution of that idea for us to to come to that when it came to Sun and Moon. And just for the fact, I know you already mentioned this, but just for the simple fact that it removed the need to have an entire dedicated roster slot in your six Pokemon yeah. team for, you know, basically your HM Pokemon. You didn't have to have basically the throwaway Pokemon in your team, the Lanoon or the Raticate, who had to be beefed uh -huh. up just because they had to survive just in case, just so you could somehow surf on a Raticate or just so you could, you know, somehow cut down trees with a pseudo Wudo or something. So glad that they finally, well, man, when I played Sun and Moon and I saw that they did that, I was so happy. And the fact that you could fast key those, you couldn't yes. fast key, you couldn't fast key all of them because there were too many, but you could fast key up to four of those ride Pokemon. So you wouldn't even have to open up your menu. You just hit up and all of a sudden you're flying through the sky. You're fast traveling with Charizard. You hit down and you're surfing across the water with Lapras. It was such an incredible quality of life change for a series that had already made such great advances in quality of life uh, issues. But yeah, specifically the ride Pokemon really took it to the next level. And I was kind of disappointed that they took that out with Sword and Shield. Granted, from a practical aspect, I guess the way they implemented the bike, you know, it works, but... I still would like to fly through the sky in a Charizard. I still would like to surf across the water as a Lapras. Yes, please. And thank you. And that's why we chose yeah. sun and moon for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, a game changer in those games, but uh, moving into our number three, we, we kind of, you know, the donkey Kong country series is very much known. The, the animal buddies in the, in the donkey Kong country series are honestly kind of, I wouldn't go as far as to say as like iconic as the Kong family, but just a step below. You really do. If you've played those games, you think of those animal buddies in the same breath. Yeah, that's not quite as iconic, but the animal buddies in the Donkey Kong Country franchise are among the best companion mm -hmm. characters in video games, especially in platformers. Oh yeah, definitely. And and when it came to choosing a representative mount um, for the Donkey Kong Country Animal Buddies, we had a couple of thoughts. I mean, obviously, Rambi the rhinoceros is the first one that comes to mind. Yep. Um, and that's that's certainly the one that I think a lot of people think of the most. But ultimately, when it came to our number three, we landed on Squitter. We didn't choose Rambi, people. <laughs> yeah, we didn't choose Rambi. Um, Squitter. Uh, debuted in Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Kong Quest. And what kind of put him over the edge for us is just his practical usage. I mean, we love Rambi, obviously. Yeah. 
Rambi is probably the most famous of the Animal Buddies in the Donkey Kong Country franchise. And ever since they put out that promo art of Donkey Kong riding a rhinoceros before DKC1 ever released back in 1994, that's just kind of been one of the images of the Donkey Kong Country franchise was writing Rambi so much so that they brought Rambi back for the Donkey Kong Country Returns games. But we think Squitter did it better. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Squitter, who is a furry orange and black spider with shoes on, by the yeah, way. Yeah, they made a spider <laughs> cute. I mean, I mean, come on. You got to shout it out just for that alone. But the fact that Squitter can shoot the web projectiles out of his mouth and create floating platforms gives him so much more practical use than somebody like, say, Rambi. Yeah, Rambi's great and all. He can run headfirst into enemies and he can charge forward really quickly. But Squitter has a rapid fire projectile attack that can mow down everything in his path. And even if he can't move as fast as Rambi, no part of the stage is inaccessible to Squitter. He can constantly produce his own platforms. Yes. And just in terms of practicality and versatility, he may not be as hardy as Rambi, but... Again, Squitter has much more utility, much more versatility, and he's got shoes. (laughs) Yeah, and and he actually plays a huge role in, uh, speaking of speedruns, SGDQ, in in DKC2 speedruns. As you could probably imagine, Squitter plays a pretty large role in getting through that game quickly as he can just negate so much of the stage if used properly. So. Yeah, I mean, we we love, you know, all of the Animal Buddies and the DKC series. But, um, you know, when it it came to the best, most practical mount, we had to give it to uh, to Squitter. I do also really love On Guard. Oh, of course. I mean, I I love Espresso. Espresso, yeah. Squawks, even though Squawks isn't really a mount, he carries you, but still. But coming into our number two is maybe a character that a lot of people just assumed would be at Number one, when it comes to Nintendo and mounts, there is a singularly iconic dinosaur that premiered in 1991 with the release of the shiny new Super Nintendo that has gone on to become, in his own right, one of the most iconic characters in Nintendo's stable. I am, of course, talking about Mario's eternal steed, Yoshi. Yeah, I mean, Yoshi's an iconic character, of course. And I mean, despite the fact that Yoshi now is a character in and of itself, and and he's honestly probably starred in more games where he isn't a mounted companion at this point, he still, you know, made his debut as, yeah, as Mario's steed. Yeah, not only can you mount Yoshi in Super Mario World, but he has returned to his mountable ways in a couple appearances since then, very notably in Mario Galaxy 2. Notably also in Super Mario Brothers Wii. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, now he's probably most famous for his appearances in Super Smash Brothers and his own franchise, especially, you know, Yoshi's Woolly World and Yoshi's Crafted World in recent years. Would still love to get a Yoshi's Woolly World uh, Switch port, please. Nintendo is very good. But Yoshi's Flutter Jump has made him, again, one of Nintendo's most famous uh, go-to characters in their stable. But yes, in 1991, he was just another piece of the dinosaur land motif that they were going with, with Super Mario World. But he became so instantly iconic that 
you know, Nintendo basically felt compelled to put him in everything they could. It only took a couple years for Yoshi to start getting his own. They even went back and retroactively gave Yoshi his own Nintendo game, his own NES game with Yoshi's Cookie. Right. Yep. They very quickly capitalized on Yoshi's popularity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, like, it, it, it should be noted, too, that I mean, like, Yoshi's status as a mount was like so set in stone that when we got to super Mario 64 and Yoshi appears, it was like a huge thing when you couldn't ride him, (laughs) you know, but ultimately we didn't feel like we could put Yoshi at number one because, because Yoshi really has kind of surpassed this entire identity of him as a mount, even though he's been in that position a couple times over the course of his long and illustrious career, he is very much his own character. And in fact, the entire Yoshi race is very much their own character. So when it comes to the top mounts, Yoshi very much has kind of broken the bonds of his mount status, but still, still one of the most iconic mounts in Nintendo history. And we absolutely had to give Yoshi his due, if for nothing else, based on the number of times that we have thrown Yoshi down into a pit to save our own tail. <laughs> That is, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. But before we get into our number one pick, how about some honorable mentions? How about those honorable mentions? We've already talked about Monster Hunter and obviously shout out to Monster Hunter Rise with its new wyvern riding mechanic. I've already talked about how hype a mechanic it is mm-hmm. and is indeed hype mechanic. It is incredibly satisfying to beat up a massive monster with another massive monster go figure that makes me feel good but (laughs) yes of course monster hunter stories 2 being the catalyst of this entire list being entirely centered around the writing of monster hunter monsters but there's there's been some pretty good mounts throughout nintendo history even outside of that franchise oh yeah i i speaking of the mario franchise you know I, i had to shout out plessy um, especially <laughs> Plessy in, uh, in, you know, Bowser's Fury that just came out earlier this year. Cat I mean, Plessy. Yes. I mean, Plessy was so awesome in that game. I, I've always loved Plessy, of course, but in, in Bowser's Fury in particular, I mean, Plessy is such a huge component of Bowser's Fury. And since we just talked about Yoshi, I guess we should shout out Yoshi's own mount. Yes, Yoshi himself yeah. in his own series has a mount if you've never played the games if you don't know now you know poochie who got his own yarn amiibo which is impossibly adorable i won a hundred of them but yes (laughs) poochie is a little weird malformed uh, yet somehow adorable dog character within the yoshi games that is uh endlessly helpful in his adventures and that yoshi himself could ride i would love to see mario riding yoshi riding poochie (laughs) make that happen nintendo where's that i would love to see that um the the last one the last honorable mention i'll shout out here really quickly is a very underrated game on the nintendo 3ds called pocket card jockey uh which is a game that game freak made and essentially it is horse racing and solitaire that's basically what it is and (laughs) the horses in that game are just these adorable chibi little horses that you can like you can actually breed your own ponies in that game. They all have their own stats. It actually is a fairly deep little uh, game that is basically, yeah, a card-based solitaire horde ra- uh, horse racing RPG. It's as weird as it sounds, and I adored it. 
and uh, would love to see Pocket Card Jockey come to Switch, but I doubt that's ever going to happen. Um, but yes, shout out to the horses of Pocket Card Jockey. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just so many, like there's so many that we couldn't even talk about, even going into something like Bomberman and the mounted little lizard, yeah, you know, dinosaur monsters that you can mount in that game right. that they brought back for the Bomberman Battle Royale, Bomberman R Online title, even something like Panzer Dragoon, the Dragoons in Panzer Dragoon. There's just mm-hmm. so many, so many interesting mounts in video game history. But when it comes to the best, when it comes to the most iconic, you know, you think of certain franchises and you think of certain franchises in a specific context and there's immediately one thing that comes to mind. When you think of Mario and mounts, immediately Yoshi comes to mind. When you think of Pokemon and mounts, probably someone like Lapras comes to mind. When you think of Kirby and mounts, Rick, Kine, and Koo come to mind. And despite the fact that there are a few choosable mounts in this franchise, when you think about the Legend of Zelda, you think of our number one, Epona. That is certainly the case. That is certainly the case. Yeah, Epona is... I mean, she is the, uh, you know, if you'll pardon the pun, the most legendary uh, mount in, in in probably Nintendo history. I mean, there really couldn't have been anything else at our number one spot. When you think about, you know, she debuted, of course, in Ocarina of Time. Yep. And everybody, I mean, that's a, that's a memory that is like ingrained into me in Ocarina of Time, earning her from Lon Lon Ranch, you know, Epona's song, like all of that stuff like means so much to so many different people. But the fact that Epona has carried with Link through so many different iterations across time. Time, of course, is like the number one theme of the Legend of Zelda series. And the fact that Epona is there just about every step of the way since her introduction, I mean, it, it honestly couldn't have been anything else at our number one. Epona has become so famous within the lore of The Legend of Zelda that a lot of people cannot really think about playing a Legend of Zelda game without thinking about Epona because she was so indispensable in Ocarina of Time and, of course, returned for Majora's Mask. She essentially solidified herself as basically being the companion to Link throughout his adventures. Even though you have characters like Fee, even though you have characters like Midna, you know, there's that loyal steed archetype. Now, Epona's never been able to speak. She's never really had any kind of outward personality, but the, you know, learning Epona's song and just her constant presence throughout Ocarina of Time, this is something that I've said quite a few times on the show is the best thing you can do for the reputation of your video game character is to put them in a good video game. And Epona happened to be one of the most indispensable companions in video game history, due in large part to her being in arguably the greatest game of all time. And don't even try to pretend like the first horse you didn't catch in Breath of the Wild, you immediately named Epona. Don't try to (laughs) pretend like you didn't do that. Oh, well, of course. I mean, even beyond that, though, you can you can scan in that amiibo and uh, straight up get Epona in the game. And like you can't the name defaults. It's Epona. You can't change it. The stable clerks like recognize it as Epona, the horse of legend. I mean, Epona is 
a legendary figure, a legendary horse, just as iconic as the three main characters of Link, Zelda, and Ganon. Epona is right there with them, and Epona carries throughout time. And again, I mean, I just, I, I, I love that character. I mean, there when you think of like fantasy settings, the noble steed, the horse, is is something that has been around for that concept has been around for really as long as fantasy stories have. Yeah. When you think of like characters like Artak from the Neverending Story, you think of characters like Maximus from Tangled, you know, that oh, type yeah. of character. Epona, again, even though not really outwardly showing any personality like that, is very much in the upper echelons of characters like that. There's something about the reliability. There's something about knowing that opponent is going to be there, that comfort of knowing that opponent is going to be there when you need her. Absolutely. Epona will always hold a special place in, in all of our hearts. And it's it's basically any time there is there is some sort of horse that crops up in a Nintendo game, Epona comes to my <laughs> mind. And if I have the opportunity to name a horse, I will almost certainly name it Epona. <laughs> Absolutely. But what about you? Do you think Epona is the greatest steed, the greatest mount in Nintendo history? Do you think that our entire list is completely wrong from top to bottom? Reach out to us and let us know how terrible at making lists we are. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know what your list would be. I'm sure it's so much better than ours. (laughs) But we've already talked about one golf game. We've already done the front nine. Seth, I think it's time for the back nine. Yes, yes, it is time to tackle a game that we have been looking forward to talking to for a while. I've spent a lot of time playing it, so it is finally time for our full all-in review right here, right now, for Mario Golf Super Rush. Well, I know we've already played a lot of golf already, checking out some of the wonderful courses in Golf Story, like Wellworn Grove and Bermuda Isles and Oak Manor, but that just really whetted our appetite for arcade sports titles on the Nintendo Switch, specifically golf titles on the Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch, because as everybody knows, there was recently released a very high-profile golf title on the Nintendo Switch. And while I spent all my time playing the courses over in Golf Story, Seth decided to check out the greens in the Mushroom Kingdom. That is right. Been playing a lot of Mario Golf Super Rush and happy to be bringing you guys a full all-in review right here, right now. And if this is your first time joining us for an all-in review, well, dear listener, let me let me detail the ritual for you. Break it down, Seth. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm going to kind of give you the top level thoughts about the game. I'm going to dive into the different facets of it from the story to the presentation to the music. And finally, as always, to the most important part of any game, the gameplay. And uh, after the review, I will shout out a few thoughts and comments from our community. And we always give this disclaimer when we do an all in review. Mm -hmm. We do not issue numbered scores here on all in. Yep. Because... We, we kind of, we feel like video games as an art form are too complex, mean too many different things, too many different people to just kind of distill them into a simple numbered score. Sorry, Metacritic. Yeah, we just, we just really feel like saying a game at the end of a review is a three out of five or it's seven stars out of 10. We just, we feel that that is just oversimplifying things to the point of being a discredit to the games themselves. Yes, we're we're all about just kind of giving you our 100% honest thoughts and opinions and letting our listeners be the masters of their own destiny, so to speak. 
<laughs> their own golf destiny. Yes, your golf destiny, your golf adventure, even. Mm. I'll certainly be talking about that. Uh, now, I, I just want to set the stage here. I really do. I like golf games overall, right? I'm a longtime fan of games like Everybody's Golf or Hot Shots Golf, as it's known here in the States. And um, I haven't played every single Mario Golf game. Uh, but you know, Toadstool Tour is is probably the the GameCube one is probably one of my favorite Mario sports titles though. And generally speaking, I think Mario Golf Super Rush is a solid Mario Golf game. I I do like it. I think it's got some pretty major issues and some downfalls and some strange omissions that I'm going to get into. But the actual golfing in Mario Golf Super Rush is very solid. And for me. Personally, that's probably the most important thing at the end of the day. And I've made this comparison specifically to you, Eric. Even before the game came out, I kind of got this vibe. We both kind of got this vibe, and, and it's mm-hmm. certainly true of the final product. This game reminds me so much of Mario Tennis Aces. Yeah, if we had actually been around back when our friends at Camelot released Mario Tennis Aces on the Nintendo Switch, I mean, honestly... Uh, we could probably have transplanted our review of that game almost word for word over here into Mario Golf Super Rush. Yeah, it's it's very, it reminds me so much of it. And what I mean by that is it, it has sort of released in a state that a lot of people are not happy with, just like Mario Tennis Aces. But mm-hmm. the gameplay itself is very good and solid. And the game was sort of fixed with free DLC and updates over the course of its life, right? And and now I think fans kind of look back at Mario Tennis Aces favorably. And I think that is very much going to be the story of Mario Golf Super Rush. So that that's, that's the vibes I get from it here at the top level. And speaking of story, Eric. Yeah. Let's get into our first segment of the review here, talking about the game's story mode, Golf Adventure. Very nice. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate a good segue. I did like uh, that very much. <laughs> so the setup of the Golf Adventure mode is that uh, you play as your me. Weirdly, they give the me's like this disturbing kind of high-pitched voice that I really didn't like. <laughs> it's, it's really... To it's, go with it's the disturbing face. Yeah, it's it's creepy. It's it's creepy. I wish there was a way to toggle it off or something like that. But um, anyway, you play as your me. You're a rookie golfer, and it's very much kind of like a Pokemon setup. You're looking to set off and make your way through the ranks and join the big leagues and be the very best, you know, like no one ever was. Yes, yeah, so you've um, got to catch all the golf balls. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it actually even, again, kind of like Pokemon kind of sets up some rival characters in the beginning of Golf Adventure in the form of Toadette, Boo, and Charge and Chuck. Um, but what's weird is the story mode kind of flat out ditches like all of that subplot in favor of this kind of save the kingdom story that sees you kind of intermittently crossing paths with a small handful of Mario characters. And that's sort of it. It's like, hey, there's a crisis Go and fix this crisis. It's a little lame that you actually don't see the vast majority of the playable characters in Golf Adventure. Because I was telling you this, I kind of like how the game sets them up as almost like like larger-than-life figures in the golfing world. Yeah. I, I kind of dig that. It's kind of like in hushed tones, like, oh, you're, you're going to be competing against the Donkey Kong, you know? I, I kind of like that. I, I wish there was more of that, but sadly... There, there's not a whole lot of that. 
The problem, I think, with the narrative, and this was another problem that I had with the adventure mode, the story mode in Mario Tennis Aces, and we we are going to be referring to Mario Tennis Aces quite a bit over the course. Yeah. yeah, was I enjoyed it. I thought the adventure mode was really good, and they even wound up adding on to the adventure mode in Mario Tennis Aces with free DLC as well. But my biggest problem with that was it ultimately felt like the Kickstarter pitch version of what you were hoping that mode yeah. was going to be ultimately. Yeah, it's it's weird. It kind of positions itself as like a light golf RPG, not dissimilar again to Mario Tennis, but um, basically, yeah, I mean, over the course of like a five to six-ish hour story mode, you visit and play golf in each of the zones that the game's six main courses are based on. Uh, each of these zones kind of have a hub area with characters to talk to. You can purchase clothes and golf clubs to boost stats. There are side challenges to take on. And really, the the point really of Golf Adventure, almost everything you're going to be doing in Golf Adventure is in the service of teaching you the game's core mechanics. And, and while not all of them are always useful, and there are even a few of them that you probably will never use more than once, um, I do still think that Golf Adventure is worth playing through just to really learn how to play the game. It's it's also a really easy way of unlocking the game's courses and modes, which I will say, I've seen a lot of reviews actually get this wrong, but you can unlock the courses and modes in standard play. You don't actually have to play Golf Adventure to unlock everything. All you do is you unlock a new course every 18 holes you play in the previous one. So... That is worth noting. Golf Adventure is not required to unlock everything in this game, but it is my personal preferred way of unlocking them. And again, it is kind of a solid primer on the game's mechanics. So there's that incentive. You can also take your sort of kitted out me character from Mm -hmm. Golf Adventure into the other modes if you want to, with all of its kind of beefed up stats. So that, that may also be further incentive for you to play through it. Take your lifeless doll of a me character in and just wipe the floor with all the actual denizens of the Mushroom Kingdom, who, by the way, canonically have superpowers like pyrokinesis and cryokinesis. <laughs> yeah. And I guess Wario technically has airbending? Just a really <laughs> corrupted form of it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's interesting, some of the things they, they do with that. But yes, you can take your me character... Uh, into the other modes if you wish. So, you know, maybe even further incentive. If you really want to beef up that me character, you want to drive a ball, you know, 300 yards, you can do that. Um, but that that is kind of where my compliments for the golf adventure mode end, unfortunately. Um, the, the entire thing kind of does end up feeling undercooked and in my opinion has a ton of missed potential the story itself even ends extremely abruptly and in a very unsatisfying way. And to be honest with you, the entire mode kind of falls apart the second you kind of take a closer look at it. Um, I mentioned earlier that you do spend your time in golf adventure, traversing between the hubs based on the game six courses. And that's all well and good, but the hubs themselves are very small and very empty And there are plenty of NPCs to kind of like talk to, get little single bits of dialogue, sure. And I mentioned there are like a small handful of side challenges, but for the vast majority of the time, 
you're just going to be kind of slogging it from one location to the other, like following the ever-present red arrow, competing in golf competitions, and leveling up your me. Now, leveling up is super annoying in this game. And, you, you know, like any RPG, you earn experience to level up, but this is what annoys me. Your stats will kind of try to balance themselves out as you level mm-hmm. up. Yep. And there are several times like where, like, for example, I'd have a maxed out speed stat, but putting points into my drive stat would then cause the speed stat to go down. So essentially I was having to like continuously dump points into stats that would kind of arbitrarily reduce themselves as I leveled up other things. I found that very annoying. Yeah. Just like in golf story, when you, when you're putting more, uh, when you're putting points into power as you level up, but you wind up losing a little bit of accuracy because of it. So you wind up having to put more points into accuracy to help balance it out. Yeah. That's very much what's going on here. I found that pretty annoying. Um, but is what it is. And, and you know, it, it is nice. Cause like I said, you can purchase golf clubs and clothes that will affect your stats or they may provide protection against some of the course hazards. But even then, right. It's like the selection of those is extremely limited. They don't really have a lot of fun with it. It would have been really easy to like theme them around Nintendo stuff. There are some where it's like, Oh, this is the bullet bill nine iron. And it gives you a little extra top spin. But again, there, there's so little of that. And here's what's really annoying. And this is where you can really tell that this was this was an oversight. If you want to go back to a previous hub area to maybe go back for any reason, if you want to go back and do a side challenge, if you want to go back and purchase that area's equipment that you may have passed on, you have to do it on foot. There is no fast travel option. Despite the in-game map even looking like it should allow you to do that, there is no fast travel option. It's like, really? It just, I don't know. Like it just, it feels like the golf, uh, the golf adventure has a lot of like weird little design oversights like that. And again, the story, if you'll forgive me for this pun, Eric, it feels super rushed. (laughs) Would you say, would you say that it feels like it's something that is going to be added onto later on with free content? I I could very much see that. And that again, will be a recurring theme (laughs) in this review. Yeah. Uh, And you know, look, it's impossible to know how COVID-19 affected the development of this game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This was something that you and I specifically talked about was the fact that when Mario Tennis Aces came out, Mario Tennis Aces, that was another criticism that a lot of people had of that game was the relatively low number of characters, the relatively low number of a lot of things, really, but Camelot's head is like, hey, we're going to be adding characters constantly. We're going to be doing all this stuff constantly and adding stuff to the game with free DLC. Everyone's like, okay, cool, but right now. And you and I spoke about whether or not how much they actually may or may not have taken that to heart and whether or not they were able to implement that or whether or not COVID prevented them from implementing that to the point where they just wound up having to release super rush again the puns there yeah in a super rushed state i I do wonder if i do wonder if the covid19 crisis if if the pandemic had not happened i do wonder how much more content would have been in the base version of this game but 
Uh, I can absolutely see big Nintendo or maybe even big Camelot saying, you know what? We did it with the last game and it turned out fine. Let's just go ahead and pull the trigger. I mean, that that's really, that is what it feels like. Right. And I mean, but I mean, I can't, I can't vouch for the game that this will end up becoming. I you exactly. know, we have to review the game as it is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very confident that uh, in a couple of years, this game is going to be uh, quite a bit larger. But again, just like you said, yeah, we can't we can't review potential. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, that that's a huge disclaimer. And that's that's honestly kind of a looming thing while playing this game. That's always kind of in the back of your mind. But um, uh, but again, in, in Golf Adventure, the, the vast majority of the time you're going to be spent uh, in there is is doing speed golf competitions and speed golf is kind of the premier new mode of the game. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later, but um, it's essentially a mode where you hit the ball and then you dash after it in an effort to kind of make the hole before your opponents do. Uh, Each stroke accounts for an additional 30 seconds of your time. So essentially the objective is to be fast as well as accurate. And this is kind of the big marquee mode of the game. This is the the mode that they were showing off a lot pre-release. I will say I do prefer standard golf personally, but I, I don't mind speed golf overall. But here's the kicker for me. Golf Adventure actually features an exclusive variant of speed golf called XC Golf. Okay. And it really did not land with me. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I was really turned off by XC Golf. Now, So you're saying it didn't exceed expectations. <laughs> Oh, the puns, the puns are strong. Ah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no. Um, so what is nice though, is that XC golf only takes place in the Ridge Rock Lake area, which is kind of that mountainous whirlwind covered course that we've seen in trailers before. Um, and in XC golf, you're essentially given a set number of strokes in which to sink nine holes. And you can tackle them in whichever order you want to. And that, on the face of it, on paper, that's actually a good idea. I kind of liked having to plot out strategically which holes I wanted to go for. And I kind of liked having that limitation set for me. So it's like, hey, you have this open area with nine holes in it. You can you have, you have do whatever order you want, but you got to do it within 40 strokes or whatever, you know? Yeah. So that's a cool idea. It does make it kind of feel free form. It's interesting in that way. But when you're already having to contend with mountains and enemies and whirlwinds and course hazards and stuff, it does get very frustrating very quickly. Like I can't tell you how many times I would line up my shot thinking that I would clear the mountain face to reach an uphill goal or whatever, only for it to, to just kind of like ding and just knock off of the mountain and go flying in the opposite direction. Well, there uh, goes an extra five strokes. Exactly, right? And then like you, you'll have enemies just straight up interfering with your shots or running into you and you having to reset everything. Like having to deal with the terrain and the stroke limitations is, is enough. You know, I don't need all of this extra stuff on top of it. Um, so, and then like the game does have systems in place via the golf watch to gauge your distance and your elevation, but it's all in this weird kind of grid based system that I didn't find very readable. I didn't feel like it did me a lot of good personally, but it might just be a me thing. Cause I've talked to a lot of people who really enjoy XC golf and wish that it would be made into a mode outside of golf adventure. And honestly, to go back to the notion of upcoming DLC, I can 100% see that be a thing that, you know, that they work into 
the other modes. It is currently only in this section of golf adventure, but I think they're going to 100% make XC golf a playable mode outside of it. So it it, it wasn't for me, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, So to, to kind of sum up golf adventure, um, I really do think it's worth playing through as a good way to brush up on the game's mechanics Um, I was bummed out by some of the missed opportunities, like I said, in terms of the story ending abruptly, doesn't really go anywhere. A lot of like little threads that they pick up just get dropped. I think it's got some really strange design decisions. I wish it felt a little less empty, but it like, it's fine. It's there. You know, it's, it's really not what you're going to be sinking dozens of hours into with this game anyway. Right. Yeah. But it would still be nice if it felt like more than an afterthought, not saying that it feels like, afterthought may not be the best word, but still it ultimately feels like it wasn't given the care and attention and content that it really should have for a game with Mario's face plastered all over the box art. Yep. Yep. I mean, dude, like, yeah, Mario's all over the place in, in the box art and whatnot in golf adventure. Mario pops up like twice. Like, Mm -hmm. honestly, Um, Mario's like, I did the entire adventure mode in Mario tennis aces. You can handle this one. (laughs) right and the writing's actually like not that bad with the dialogue there's some kind of funny moments and stuff but i mean like it was kind of a bummer because we're we're seeing stuff you know they have like these scant boss encounters and stuff like that that i was kind of hoping we would see more of and just everything just feels kind of half-baked unfortunately see that was Um, one of the things that i liked in mario tennis aces there were a couple boss encounters but it was like pity piranha and donkey kong and all these classic iconic nintendo characters showing up for boss encounters that were actually like the mechanics that they introduced for a lot of the boss fights in the adventure mode for mario tennis aces i thought were actually really cool it's it's sad to say, like the that that one Moltres looking bird <laughs> boss fight that we saw, that is one of the two boss fights in the game. So and and neither of them, they're both like neither of them are pre-existing characters. They're new characters of this game. So just that should tell you really all you need to know about that. Um it's it's weird, man. It's 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 a weird one. It it really doesn't work. I I do again. I think it's worth playing through just to get to grips with the mechanics. But, um, but I think on you know it, another pun, I guess. But on the whole, I think that golf adventure is not uh is not quite up to snuff. So what you're saying is it doesn't quite measure up to par. <laughs> yes, it was not a hole in one even. Um, man, there's gonna be a lot of golf puns. Uh, I, I'm, I'm astounded. I was able to keep myself from it during golf story. <laughs> now I, I moving into the presentation. This is actually one of the aspects in which I think the game really shines. Um, it's not the prettiest game that I've ever seen on switch, but I do think it looks really good graphically. I think the colors pop really nicely. Uh, really importantly though, the characters that are here are all very well realized. And as we've talked about many times on this show, they all have got awesome golf outfits that they have brought to bear in many cases, um, which is great. Like shout out to Bowser Jr.'s fit in this game. It's so good. I love <laughs> the it. The clown car visor. Yes. It's so <laughs> good. 
Um, I love the shoes. I wonder how much. Yeah. I just wonder how long it took for them to uh, to design the shoes for Mario Golf Super Rush. I would absolutely buy a pair of Mario's cleats from this game or whatever they're called. I don't know. Are they called cleats in golf? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know, but yeah, I mean the 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 outfit designs are great. The characters animate well. Um, they all have unique dashing animations and unique super shots, which I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. But super shots are essentially like ultimate moves. They drive for a ton of distance they typically give the ball some sort of effect when it lands and all of those are all unique all awesome just kind of like showcases the personality of the characters like when king bob-omb dashes he's carried by an army of smaller bob-omb's which is just great (laughs) um you know rosalina's super shot will when it lands when her ball lands from the super shot turns opponent uh, opponent's balls into star bits like it's stuff like that like that that kind of stuff really goes a long way. And and honestly, I think the 16 character launch roster has got a good mix. Uh, I mean, you've got unique characters like King Bob-omb and Charge and Chuck and Pauline's in the game which makes me happy, but you've still got your mainstays like Mario and Luigi and Peach and, you know, and Yoshi and Bowser. So, I I I like the launch roster here. And of course, as we'll say many times, it will be expanded, but at launch, I do think that we have a really good lineup. I do too, but where's my boy Dry Bones? I need Dry Bones, Camelot. Right? Hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> they've done some some really interesting things with the character roster. Like Charge and Chuck in the game. Yeah, Charge and Chuck is just in here because we don't have a Mario American football game yet. Charge no. and Chuck is like, you know what? Fine. They're not going to make a football game. I'm just going to show up on the green and try to whack a few balls down the lane. I mean, that's basically what his super shot is. He just straight up throws the golf ball like it's a football. Like it's <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, now, I will say uh, something that we notated when we did our trailer breakdown a couple of months ago is that we were afraid that the course variety would end up feeling a bit lacking just in variety visually and just sort of like in terms of what it's like to play on those courses. And unfortunately that does sort of, sort of end up being the case. There's certainly some standouts, but like only having six courses at launch does admittedly feel very limited. And a lot of the courses are are just not as visually interesting as you'd like them to be. Despite being colorful, you do just kind of crave something a little bit more unique you know, we, we've already seen upcoming new donk city course, you know, and stuff like yep. that. And so that looks again, really cool. It does. It does. So, I mean, again, like with Mario tennis aces, I think this issue will be alleviated as time goes on, but in the base game, yes, I wish there were more unique courses. Yeah. They really should wind up putting four more courses in this game. I would say minimum. They should put minimum. at least four more courses in this game and make them all really bombastic. Make them all really Mario themed because I mean, yeah, a lot of the courses still have Mario elements on them, but especially a lot of the earlier courses, yeah, they just feel like golf greens with some Mario confetti mm-hmm. on the sidelines a lot of the time. This it a lot of it doesn't feel like Mario Golf. A lot of what you're looking at, to me, just too often feels like it's a golf game with Mario in it. Whereas you look at something like Toadstool Tour, 
back on the GameCube. Yeah. Just every frame of that was absolutely dripping with Mario flavor and Mario personality. I wish a little bit of that. I wish a little bit more of that had seeped into Super Rush. I wish there were mushroom platforms on every sideline. Yeah. I wish every green had Monty Moles just poking their heads up, like not even as obstacles, just as little you know, little dashes of flavor and personality. And I really think that the courses they had with DLC should really expand on that. They should really make this a Mario golf game with the extra content. I agree. Yeah, I I agree. But I mean, here, here at base, I mean, it's just not, it's not, again, it's not quite, you know, there it's, you you want more, you want it to be more unique. Um, I do last thing I'll shout out here when it comes to the presentation is I, I do want to quickly shout out the game's technical performance because this is another high point for the game. The game runs really, really well. Um, it boots up like notably quickly. It, it reminds me, remember when you first got Super Mario 3D All-Stars Home and you're like, holy, like, holy moly, this thing boots up fast, right? Like you hit the button and you're basically in there. Um, that's how this is. Mario Golf Super Rush boots up extremely quickly. I mean, you could get into the game in like literal seconds, actually seconds. The loads are not long. The frame rate is steady throughout. And I mean, just overall, like I was actually impressed with the way the game just runs on the Switch. Um, You know, the menus and the UI are laid out cleanly. I I think the presentation of the game is really top notch. It's one of my favorite elements of the game overall. So shout out to that. Uh, Unfortunately, and you know it breaks my heart to say this, Eric, but I cannot be as nice about the game's music. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a golf game. It wasn't exactly going to be, you know, Mitsuda levels of, you know, amazing game score. Yeah, but I'm and, and yeah, you're right. Like the the music of Mario Golf has historically never blown me away, but like Matoy Sakuraba is is an amazing composer and he does return for Super Rush and I just it's sad to say, but I, I do think it's overall a disappointing score and I I really labored over the you know how much I love video game music. I do. And that's one of the things about golf games is do you want a great set? Do you honestly want a great soundtrack from a golf game or do you want the soundtrack to get out of the player's way? Like I'm, I'm asking you this yeah. specifically Seth, because that's that when it comes to a game like this, I, I got to imagine it's, it's, a real tug of war within the mind of the composer. Like, do you go because it's a Mario, because it's arcade style, do you go more bombastic or do you try to be, you know, because very famously, if you've ever watched golf, like nobody says a word, it's all whispers and it's, it's famously quiet on a golf course. So, so what would you do, Seth? Well, it's it's really interesting, right? And this is always an interesting conversation to have when it comes to video game music. But when, when we're talking about Mario Golf, especially this Mario Golf, where it's all about, oh, speed golf and battle golf and we're in your face. And like, it doesn't have the vibe of a quiet golf green. It's, it's trying to be bombastic and in your face. And like the, I mean, you know, Pauline singing Jump Up Superstar when she does her super shot. You know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of vibe. And you got Charge and Chuck throwing the football. You got King bob a literal bomb. It's not a quiet golf green. It's supposed to be a little bit more in your face. So you can you can argue for, like, the concentration element, maybe. But um, I, I just, for me, I was kind of looking for some more standout tracks than we got. And I don't want to say that it's all bad. Like... 
I think the game's main theme is solid. I think there are certainly a few standout tracks in particular. I really do like the uh, the Wild Weather Woods track a lot. Um, the Bowser Highlands track I also really liked because it actually, that track's really good in particular because it brings in the leitmotif of Bowser's theme from Mario 64. I loved that. That was so cool. <laughs> that like, you know, so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, like a lot of the other music is pretty forgettable, unfortunately. And again, I toiled over this. I really did because I was listening to it in the context of the game. I took myself outside of the context of the game and listened to the soundtrack on its own. I, I feel like the music gets more interesting as the courses get more interesting. So like, that's probably why those two tracks that I shouted out are from the last two courses you unlock. So I will be interested to see what happens when they start working in some more with this promised, you know, free DLC. But I mean, like, like you look at Sakuraba's career, he has done some amazing work, like games like dark souls and golden sun. And you know, this one again is not bad. It's just kind of forgettable in the, in the grand scheme of his career. So I, I put it to you again, if you were going to score a, an arcade golf game, like what would be your angle? I, I just would like, I, I would have taken a more in your face approach personally. Um, I would have taken a more kind of like catchy approach when it comes to, you, you kind of want like, I think with a game like this, something that would be really nice are like the concept of earworms, the the kind of like you want a music track that'll kind of be pleasant. Like, oh, I feel like I'm at home on this track because I've come to know this music really well or whatever. It doesn't need to be, you know, blow up in your face constantly. But I, I do think that some memorable music goes a long way for a game like this, where especially when you're talking about only six courses, you want to feel like you've kind of settled into a groove with them, you know? So I don't know. It's... I, I feel like I'm being really mean on it and I'm not trying to be. It isn't bad. <laughs> it's just okay. You know? So I don't know. That, that's, it, it does break my heart. I, I love Sakuraba. I'm a huge fan of him, but I mean, like, it's just, I gotta be honest. It's forgettable, you know, for the most part, a few standouts, but for the most part, it is a pretty forgettable score, but let's get into the meat of it. Let's talk about the gameplay and, like I said at the beginning, the gameplay of Mario Golf Super Rush is rock solid. If you've played a Mario Golf game, you know the basics, right? If you've played really any golf game, you know the basics. Yeah. You know, you line up the shot, you take into account things like wind speed, wind direction, you take into account the distance you want, you press the A button to set the power and the distance of your drive, you press it again, you, you time things like curving, backspin, topspin, you can actually, you can move the left or right, uh, the left thumbstick left or right to kind of put some English on the ball when you hit it. Um, you can easily double tap the A button to apply top spin to the ball. You press the B button to apply backspin. You can even double tap the B button to apply super backspin where it basically just stops dead in its tracks, which can come in handy. And, um, you know, in addition to that, you of course have got several different shot types and club types to consider based on the situation. Um, I touched on earlier the super shots that are basically your ultimate ability that provide a ton of distance. They can destroy obstacles. They have various effects when those shots land. Um, and real quick, the way that, that that actually builds up, you've got a meter, a super shot meter that builds up by completing holes and collecting coins. And once your meter is full, 
you just hit the left bumper and you go to set your super shot. Um, so there, there's a lot to consider. In addition to that, you've got like timing based duff shots. You've got vertically based lob shots. You've got your drivers, your irons, your putters. I mean, there, there's quite a lot to consider in the game. It can essentially be as deep as you want to make it. Yeah, if you've ever played a golf video game, you're probably going to be very, very familiar yes. with most of the setup here. Yes, there's a few bells and whistles in Mario Golf Super Rush, thankfully, you know, but golf video games are something that really, the, the gameplay hasn't fundamentally changed in about 30 years. Yeah, they, they figured it out, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it didn't need to reinvent the wheel. Now, when it, when it comes to gameplay options the game does give the player a fair amount of wiggle room. You can toggle the background music. Just talked about the music. You can toggle that. Um, you can toggle toad commentary, which <laughs> I don't know why you would turn that off, but you could. Um, <laughs> right. You know, my wife, Anastasia actually does a wonderful toad impression. She does a really <laughs> good toad impression. Anyway, uh, you can choose if you want the individualized distances to read out as yards or meters, which is a nice touch. Nice. Um, you can choose to be right-handed or left-handed. You can toggle motion controls or gyro with your rangefinder, And you can even customize left, right, up, and down on your shot controls, which is always nice. I, I always love it when you can invert. Not that I do it, but for folks that like to invert their controls, you have full range of customization with that. Um, and obviously, it is worth shouting out. This is not the way that I played the game. Um, but you can play the game with motion controls using the Joy-Con, of course. Um, so there, there is quite a bit there in terms of gameplay options. Now, in terms of modes, you have the golf adventure mode that I've already talked about at length. Um, you've got the solo challenge mode that allows you to... It, it's, it's more so like a training mode. It, it basically lets you set high scores for yourself in a score attack and a time attack. It's, you know, it's there. Like if you want to just kind of like do some solo challenges and, and like beat your own high score, it's there if you want to get a little bit, bit of practice in. So it is a nice little addition. But, you know, where, where the main meat of it is, is under the play golf section, which breaks down into the game's various multiplayer modes. And I, I think that's really where the vast majority of people's time with this game will be spent is in play golf, you know, in multiplayer. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, Camelot does understand a couple things. We are going to rag on them rightfully about, you know, a few things and, you know, in, in particular, the lack of content. Yeah. But it's always said that the gameplay is the most important aspect of any game. Yes. And the game may have some shortcomings. However, if it can nail the core gameplay elements of its engine, then even lackluster content, even subpar presentation can be salvaged. And this is just another comparison that I would make to something like Mario Tennis Aces, where there was similarly a little bit less content and a little mm -hmm. bit you know, lacking in presentation. But the mechanics were rock solid. It felt fantastic to play. So it's really nice to see that if nothing else, not to say that, Gameplay is the only thing that this game has going for it, but it's nice to see that it really feels like Camelot took all their A students and made sure to put them on the gameplay engine for all of their sports games. 
you know, you know, some of the B and C students may be working on some of the other modes and some of the other aspects of the game. But when it comes to the gameplay, they're like, all right, you guys all had the best marks in your classes. We need you working on the gameplay engine. I really respect the fact that they did have their A teams working on stuff that you really wanted to have your A teams working on. Yep, absolutely. And that and that is, you know, what comes across here. I mean, the gameplay is solid and um you you really have got three kind of golf modes in the game. You've got the standard golf mode, which is exactly what you think it is. It's standard golf. Every stroke counts, lowest score wins. I mean, that's it's standard golf. It, it, that is my preferred way of playing the game, just like straightforward Mario Golf. That's my favorite. You have speed golf, which is, again, the marquee mode of the game that I mentioned earlier. It's where you hit the ball, you chase it down, and you finish each hole as fast as you can. Now, each character does have varying stats that determine their speed while dashing and the amount of stamina they have to dash with. And the way this works is you basically just press the B button to begin sprinting after you have made your shot and you will expend a small amount of stamina constantly while doing this. You can also press the left bumper to spend a large chunk of stamina and perform what's called a super dash, which will make you much faster, and you'll knock opponents and enemies out of your way while you're doing this. It can be, I will warn you, quite unruly. It is very easy to sort of overshoot. You cannot stop it. Like when when the super dash is in motion, it's in motion. Um, so I, I don't recommend overusing it. Use it wisely. It's very easy to, you, you can very easily put yourself in a bad situation with improper use of the super dash. Um, you do recover stamina over time whenever you aren't sprinting and you can also collect hearts on the course to recover that stamina. Um, but that is essentially the main gist of speed golf. And, and I like speed golf. Like it's a fun addition. I really enjoy it overall. My wife and I have had fun with it. I, I think your enjoyment is going to vary depending on how much chaos you like in your golf game. I was really interested to see how this mode in particular was going to play like, because just like you said, and just like we've said earlier on in the review, golf is a very famously quiet, a very famously yeah. measured, deliberate game. So you add this element of absolute chaos into it. You know, what's it going to feel like? Yes, obviously the shots that you take are going to have to be these woo-saw kind of zen moments. But then immediately after that, you have to go into this mad dash to try to get up to your ball. So that dichotomy, that, you know, huge disparity between, you know, feels, I guess, was something that I was super interested in. And I think with a few tweaks, with just a couple extra things added into the mix, I think that you could get a ton of mileage out of this mode. They need to put replays in there. Yeah, that was something I was going to shout out. That That is another weird omission is the fact that there's no replays. That that's, that's a, that was a weird omission. There, there's a couple little things like that that you wish were in there. And and like I, I pointed out earlier, there's some mechanics that even are only in golf adventure and don't make their way into the standard multiplayer, which is weird. But, you know, but speed golf, it, it's fun. I like it. It's not going to be the mode that I find myself going back to, but it does work, I think, a lot better than it ever had any right to, considering how weird of an idea it is. So, um, but yeah, again, to to speak on chaos, though, the last game golf mode is battle golf. (laughs) Now, battle golf is bonkers. This is a variant of speed golf where you compete over nine holes in a small arena at the same time. And the first to sink three of those holes wins. And 
just on the face of it, that's already extremely chaotic, but you add to it the fact that the arena is full of enemy characters, as well as what's called rush events that will occur once per minute. And basically these rush events can range from turning everybody's balls into Yoshi eggs that kind of roll unpredictably, or maybe bob bombs will start raining from the sky, or maybe the holes will have surrounding ice fields for a limited amount of time. They're obviously very difficult to putt into. And in addition to that, the Battle Golf Arena will have bob bombs and banana peels scattered throughout of it that can be lobbed at opponents to hinder their progress as well. So like it's really satisfying to send a bob bomb flying at somebody who you see is trying to like line up their putt. And it's also super annoying to be on the receiving end of that. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, just by that description, you can probably tell if this will be a mode that you'll enjoy or not. It's very chaotic. I think the idea is a lot of fun. It, it, it's, it's again, it's not something that I think I'm going to stick with, but I do think it's a really fun idea. And I think a lot of people are going to enjoy battle golf. I'll tell you with one tweak, I think you could make it so, so much more interesting. One of the big problems with battle golf is the fact that like all nine holes are available. So like how often is it going to come down to, the, the one who wins is basically just the one who's able to stay away from everybody else who's all trying to duke it out. Somebody goes off by themselves and does like all the three holes on the left. They're able to just, you know, stay away from the chaos and very quietly win the round. That's going to happen so, so often. However, if you make it so that, I mean, you have nine holes, but make it so that only two are active at any given time. Uh, and the second that one hole it has a ball sunk in it, then like five seconds later, a new hole gets added into the mix. That other hole gets taken out and a new hole on the map gets randomly added to the mix with like maybe a 10 second countdown to allow people to try to, you know, start lining up their shots or something and start preparing to go after that hole instead. If you whittle down to like still have all the holes available, but only have a couple available at one time to make sure to keep most of the players together to try to keep that chaos going to try to keep one player from gaining the advantage by going off and doing their own thing. Yeah. It, it's interesting because I think there's a really fine balance with that, that, that they're going to have a hard time striking there because I, I, I sort of agree on one hand. On the other hand, I think the the arena is kind of perfectly sized to avoid something like that. It, it really feels in in the couple of online games that I've played, and and I'll touch on the online here in a second. Like people are not going to let you get away with it for long. The game does a good job of like announcing, like, hey, this person has Uno, basically. Like this person only needs one more to win, or two more to win, or whatever. They, they, they announce it when somebody is is kind of in the lead or whatever the case may be. So you do kind of paint a target on your back if you do that. Um, and, and at that point, it becomes skill. It becomes, okay, well, how quickly can I do this before Rosalina sends a super shot over at me or before somebody throws a bob bomb or a banana peel at me? So it, it would be kind of nice, admittedly, to be able to customize via options things like you were talking about, like how many active holes can be available at one time. I think that'd be an easy yeah. thing to implement. Um, that that could really make it way more chaotic and interesting for sure. So I, I would like to see them do that. But yeah, as it stands, it is it is a very chaotic mode. I think a lot of people are going to have fun with it. Um, again, 
not something I can see myself sinking dozens of hours into, but, um, but I, you know, I like it. I think, I think that these things work better. Speed golf, battle golf work way better than I ever expected them to. Um, I, you know, we, we've said like some tweaks, some suggestions, it'd be cool to see, but again, the core, very solid. Um, I did mention online, of course, you can play online. You've got network play. You can do each of these uh, these three modes online or via local wireless. Uh, the game does support two players on one system, so you can do kind of a mix and match with online and local if you'd like. Uh, the game does support private rooms with codes for playing with friends. You can also search via matchmaking, and both of these options will allow you to choose if you want things like special shots or me characters to be allowed or not. I will say I was having a lot of trouble finding match-made rooms. Essentially, the more specific I got with my search preferences, the less chance I had of finding an open lobby. Um, If I went in with completely open preferences, I found plenty of lobbies. You know what I mean? So if you're trying to get specific, like, oh, I don't want special shots on, or, oh, I only want three or six holes, you're going to have a tough time finding rooms like that. You can just create your own room if you'd like, and maybe people will join, but your mileage is going to vary. Another thing I do want to shout out is I actually found the lag to be shockingly minimal. Um, I did test all of the modes online. It obviously works best in standard golf mode because it is like, you know, take your turn, you're doing your own thing. Um, In speed golf and battle golf, there's a lot more going on, so the lag is a lot more present. But with that being said, like, I think it works. It's a, it's a very serviceable online suite works way better than it probably should. So yeah, that was another thing. Uh, that was another thing going back to Mario tennis aces is the online matches ran beautifully in Mario tennis aces. I had a ton of fun. I got my, I got my tail kicked in quite a few times online, but I had a ton of fun online. It played wonderfully on the internet. Yeah, they've, they've done a good job of that here too. And, and I can really see myself, especially with just like standard golf, where you're just kind of like taking turns and playing normal Mario golf. It works flawlessly in that case because, it, you know, you're, you're not having to contend with bob-ombs flying everywhere and people dashing and whatnot. So <laughs> it, it, it works really well in that case. Um, I will say this is another weird omission, right? The, the omission of any sort of tournament mode. Um, I think is a huge surprise and, and a huge letdown for a lot of people. Yeah. It's what I did most of the time in aces. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't believe it's not here. I, it's one of those things. Like I can't believe it's not here. Um, again, I've got to imagine that's coming later down the road. And, and I mean, that's really, <laughs> that's, that's really, that, that's the case with this entire game. Yeah. I guarantee you those online tournaments are going to be event based there. That's probably actually how they're going to add a lot of content to the game is, you know, participate in this specific event based online tournament to unlock, you know, Yoshi or extra colors or new gear or whatever. Yeah. So I guarantee you those online tournaments are going to be event based because that is a very notable omission, especially for an arcade sports game, especially when, you know, it was such a big part of the online experience of aces. Yep. Yep. So I, I, I mean, that really, 
and again, we, we have made the comparison to Mario Tennis Aces a lot in this review, but it really is inevitable. And I, I think highlighting that is important um, because, you know, like sort of final thoughts in summary, like I really do like Mario Golf Super Rush. I can't wait to see what it becomes, you know, very much like with Mario Tennis Aces. The, the core of the game is very solid and enjoyable in many, many ways. You know, like like Mario Golf really in, in the core gameplay for me has never felt better and and has given you know Mario Golf has given you a lot of gameplay options here but like it is hard not to feel disappointed in the shortcomings and the omissions and the missed opportunities and there's probably a whole side conversation to be had about like the perceived value of a game should we pay $60 for a game that isn't you know quote unquote finished yet or blah 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 I, i'm not here to make that decision for you right but a- as it stands what i'll say at, at launch here you know Mario Golf Super Rush is a flawed game with a great solid core that I can't wait to watch improve. That that's really that's that's where I come down on it. The online suite and the online capabilities for Mario Golf Super Rush, I think, make it the premier arcade golf experience currently on the Nintendo Switch. Like if right. you want a golf game specifically to play with your friends, especially in the era of still people occasionally mm-hmm. trying to social distance, yes, then Mario Golf Super Rush is going to be probably the game that you go to. Mm-hmm. I just hope that I just hope that like Mario Tennis Aces, by the time everything is said and done, that we have gotten to the point where it feels like a $60 game. Yep. So again, I, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I mean, it's it's up to you, you know, decide if, if it's something that you might want to buy. Um, I, I really enjoyed my time with it overall. I think the core gameplay is great. Um, I did ask the all-in community to sound off in the Discord, which you should totally join if you haven't already. And uh, as always, you'll find links to that in the episode description. I did ask them to sound off on their thoughts on the game. And I did want to shout out a few of those real quick just before we wrap up, just to kind of give you an idea of how the all-in community has been finding the game. Um, I'm going to shout out a comment here from Solo Something, who, you know, shout out Solo Something. They're actually a guest on the latest episode of RetroLogic. Shout out to RetroLogic. And Solo Something says, I do like how there's a story mode to help you, to help teach you mechanics and draw you into the game. As someone that was never into golf, I am reserved for long-term player base of kids and adults, for they're still jumping on to play as often as current. And I can see how some, especially kids, may start to get bored with the pace of the game versus alternatives like Mario Kart 8, unless they are into golf in real life. However, still glad it is here as a choice for some to find as their new go-to game. So, yeah. Um, Dan, our buddy Dan, speaking of RetroLogic, says, I have some issues with the game, especially in the story mode. Some mechanics in XC Golf are straight up broken. I agree. Um, these random quests that send you across the map pointless again I agree Uh, especially with no fast travel but the actual golf of Mario Golf is solid as ever and the mechanics are deep and interesting so I mean I agree with everything Dan just said there Uh, we got one from our buddy Andros from the Nintendo Pals podcast he says as a newcomer to the series I can say I'm hooked the online multiplayer works really well, and the story mode has been very fun. My only complaints are in the multiplayer menus. Having to back all the way out to change modes is a little clunky. Getting more nitpicky, it feels like they cut some corners on animation, i.e. snapping into golf position next to the ball when playing speed golf. Looks a little janky, but overall, this is a quality title, and I love the variety of characters, the story's surprisingly in-depth RPG elements, and variety of modes. I like speed golf, but classic golf is my favorite so far. Me too. And one last one from Chris HL 94. 
He says, I am having a lot of fun with the game. I think as a golfer, I'm enjoying what people would call the more boring parts, the standard golf. So TLDR, our community is a fan of the standard golf the most, and I agree with that. So <laughs> so that's what we got. Mario Golf Super Rush. Um, that's that's our full review. I Again, we, we like it. The all-in community seems to like it overall, but there are certainly plenty of misgivings. And look, we're going to keep an eye on it, see what the game turns into over the course of its life. And if it does follow the trajectory of Mario Tennis Aces, I think this game will be very interesting to watch indeed. But you've already heard from our community that's already on our Discord server. How about you join the Discord server, join the conversation, and let us know what you thought of Mario Golf Super Rush. And if you aren't on our Discord server, you can also reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast and on Twitter at All In Podcast. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to All In and Nintendo Podcast over on YouTube as yes. well. Check out Gamer Glossary. Check out Keep Nintendo Weird. And lastly, we just want to send one big thank you out to all of you who have made us part of your weekly rotation who have liked and subscribed to all in a Nintendo podcast on whether it's SoundCloud, Google play iTunes or Spotify. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us each and every week and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. Well, dude, that's been a heck of an episode. Certainly a lot to talk about. I mean, I thought it, there's so many games coming out just this month alone. I thought there was supposed to be a summer gaming drought. Yep. Nope. Not in 2021. We already have Monster Hunter <laughs> Stories 2 come out yesterday, which we've already talked about. We've got Skyward Sword HD coming out next week that we've already talked about. We've also got Neo The World Ends With You, a game that, especially after playing the demo, I am so unbelievably excited for. Mm -hmm. But at least the golf is done and we don't have to be quiet anymore. But hopefully Mario Golf Super Rush is not close to being done. Would very much like to see more content come to that, but we've already beaten that dead horse. Sorry, Epona. Um, <laughs> you know, the train keeps on rolling. And who knows what Nintendo's going to surprise us with next week. We've already got the massive surprise of the Nintendo Switch OLED model this past week. I mean, going into the summer, going into Gamescom here very soon. I mean, yeah. things just keep on rolling and we will be here for all of it. You have our word. But until next week, ladies and gentlemen, I have been the Super EDF, Eric, Defense Force. And I have been Seth's Dream Course. We will catch you all next week. We are off the greens and into the sky. Can't wait to play some Skyward Sword HD. We love you all very much. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.